This is part two of our epic dig into what we'd like to call guilty pleasure horror movies. And what is a guilty pleasure? I mean, should that term exist? I mean, if you get joy out of something, if you enjoy it because of or in spite of its flaws, should you be guilty about it? Is it, in fact, a bad movie? I've heard debates on this, but I'm of the opinion that it can be both. I can love it, and it can be a bad movie. And with that in mind, um, don't necessarily take all of these as recommendations for everyone. These are recommendations for myself and for my co-host this week, Mr. Scott Michael Lehman. If you uh, get into, you know, obscure, crazy, low-budget, grungy, exploitative cinema, then yeah, maybe this will be exactly your speed. Otherwise, we might be speaking a foreign language to you, but I am not ashamed. In fact, I come into this very proud indeed. So what you're going to hear is our top 15 horror movie guilty pleasures of myself, your host around Canadian, Larry Parsons, and my guest, Mr. Scott Lehman. And we are going to be doing reviews of Piranha 3D, Mosquito, and Pieces. And you are in for a treat. You can send your feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. The site is rankandreview.ca. We drop every other Wednesday. And thank you for your ears. Please help spread the word on Rank and Review. I appreciate you. So we're doing this whole thing on the theme of guilty pleasures, and uh, 
I, I was I was stalking you on Facebook. I think you might have been talking to Beckman or something, and you were saying how you don't really consider this one a guilty pleasure. You just straight up flatly enjoy it. Well, yeah, I think Lee brought that up. That's oh, what was that uh, Lee? he mentioned. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Um, well, anyway, whether it was Lee or was you, I guess I understand what you're saying. Like, Piranha 3D is just unabashedly what it is. Mm -hmm. And it's not a direct-to-video thing. <clears throat> this thing played in theaters, which is just amazing and awesome, right? Um, and they really, really go for it in a way that's kind of shocking. I think the reason it's on the guilty pleasure list for me is that it's sort of a movie that we shouldn't like. Yeah. <laughs> like, so you're better than this. Larry. The Come values on. that this movie embraces, the level of debauchery, the level of exploitation, and the level of over-the-top violence that you're asked to not take seriously at all. Mm -hmm. Like, it's... Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, everybody who hates the horror genre, this is the type of movie that they hate, <laughs> right? And... I just love how, like, Aja jumped into this with both feet and just went as hard as he possibly could. To the, like, my jaw fell to the floor several times in this movie. I remember seeing this in the theater. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and the two naked women swimming under the boat, yeah. the mermaid sequence, which goes on forever with two completely Un naked women. Uncomfortably <laughs> long, I found. <laughs> like... Really like like they're giving you time to master here. <laughs> that that was the one point in the theater where I was saying like seriously, what the fuck am I watching? Like it went on this underwater naked ballet. Um, and like they hired a lot of adult film actresses to play extras in the movie, and the whole spring break debauchery yeah. thing. Like on Just one hand, you think uh, like. Drug, drugs and booze and titties, this would be amazing. But another part of it, I don't know if it's intentional or not, it seems like such a horrible environment at the yeah, same place, too. So when we transition from the sexual exploitation into the violent exploitation, which culminates in just amazing sequence at a beach party that gets swarmed and we have people just being massacred left and right, like, there's so many scenes that make you go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, that I don't know that good or bad comes into it. There's, like, a, there's a good I hundred was people. Yeah, I was emotionally being thrown around the room the whole time the movie was on. So the movie works. Yeah. Is it a good movie? Does it contribute anything to the world? Like, should this movie exist? All of these are tougher <laughs> questions. All of these are tougher questions. But I have a blast every time I watch it. But I'm a little bit embarrassed about it. This is why it becomes guilty to me. Yeah. I love it, but I'm ashamed that I love you it. You want to be taken seriously. <laughs> yeah. Be able to but talk I to do... a girl. <laughs> and I don't know what the magic is because the sequel is hot garbage. Piranha 3 Double D does all the same <laughs> things and it's terrible. Somehow, some magical thing happened. I don't know if it was Aja or if it was the script, but. This wall-to-wall -wall works for me. Even the dumbest scene in the movie works for me. I don't know what to say. I'm helpless. <laughs> I found this movie was better upon this viewing than I remembered it. I remember it being... I mean, it is, it's sleazy and gratuitous. And, yes. But um, that's not all it is. It's, it's a well-made movie, like, I mean, as far as technically. And uh, I really enjoyed watching it this time. Um, I mean, what is it, the level of trash that we've watched for this podcast? What does it say that 
Of the six films we're doing full reviews for, this is the only one that I could possibly consider watching with my wife. <laughs> Piranha 3D. And so she came down, this was like the only one. She's not going to watch a movie about, uh, you know, like stop motion mosquitoes right. or, or a Spanish Jalo movie um, or, or anything else that we've done. But <clears throat> so she watched this and she said it was, it was fine. But um, man, it's it you're right. surprises it's, me more and more. It's gratuitous in its nudity and sexuality, no question. But you're right. It knows what it is and it says, yeah, this is what we are. It's, it's, it's. They it's giddy go. about it too. Oh, and once the red comes, like mm-hmm. it comes hard and it's big time. It, and as over top as the nudity was, the violence, the, the violence outdoes it by 10. <laughs> it's crazy. Most horror movies, you have one scene with the big kill of the movie, the All one right. that everyone talks about. This, there could be several in this movie where, you know, there's so many that outdo each other. The next one outdoes it again. That massacre on the beach is such a fucking amazing it's scene. Epic, man. I mean, like I said, there's a hundred people easily that get killed there, and the and the lake turns red. Every death scene, there's body parts floating in the water. Jeez, um, like when we have there's, there's countless deaths that stand out. The hand glider who loses her legs. Yep. A girl that's carried out by two guys. She splits in half. A girl. <laughs> Her hair gets tangled in the engine. Yeah, in the, in the propeller. Uh, Eli Roth shows up. In it. <laughs> yes, he and does. As a fucking douchebag running a t-shirt, wet that t-shirt, t-shirt contest. contest. His head gets exploded, crushed, <laughs> exploding. Uh, the, the wire that cuts a girl in half, of course, after first cutting her bikini yeah. in half. But it's there's so much. And, it, and the cast, I mean... People show up in this movie that we wouldn't expect. Like We open with Richard Dreyfus, which I'm assuming is... It's definitely singing. a wink to the character he played in Jaws. He's uh, singing the same song. Yeah, he and he's very, like, he looks very similar. And apparently Richard Dreyfus donated his fee to his favorite charity. He just did this for fun. Yeah. Which, you know, That's good awesome. for you, dude. <laughs> um, Christopher Lloyd. Always just, good to see him. And he's playing, like, you know, Doc Brown's brother, basically. It's the same... As soon as he comes out, like, these are piranhas. It's like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> the dialogue that he has to deliver is so stupid, cheesy, bland exposition that if it wasn't being delivered by Christopher Lloyd, yeah. that would be the one scene in the movie where you'd just like, oh, come on, just fucking get on with it. But because they got Christopher Lloyd, it's just another jewel. <laughs> yeah, and Christopher Lloyd goes full Christopher Lloyd in it. And, but well, you know who surprised me? Jerry O'Connell. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Like I'm, I, I don't dislike Jerry O'Connell. I just think, I guess for the longest time, I thought his best performance was Vern in Stand, Stand by, by Me. me. Yeah. I don't think he sucked in anything else necessarily, but he's always been around. But he's very rarely been like popped out for me. And yeah. he's playing such a sleazebag. And this is a little bit dated, this aspect of the movie, this sort of girls gone wild thing. Yeah. It seems to me that in the age of the internet, that like buying tapes of women taking their tops <laughs> off is... Like, it's funny that that was a thing. But. Yeah, it's it's strange that it ever was a thing, but like already by the time this movie came out, it no longer was. But it was a way to both comment and satirize that character and then give him the most miserable fate that we'd ever seen. And uh, Jerry O'Connell really brings that performance. He's... <laughs> Full of energy, you understand like where he's coming from, why he thinks he's such hot shit, but you also understand that this hubris must be punished, and boy is it. Do you remember his last words? Oh, spitting out blood. Wet t-shirt. <laughs> Wet t-shirt. 
Like, even, even in death, he's just <laughs> a douchebag. But yeah, and and he's he had his penis eaten. Yep. And that was a scene in the three D theater. Yeah. Where that was this the piranha spit it back out and, and it floated it like an inch from your face. And I backed up in my seat, saying, "Okay, yeah, we don't need this three D to be so effective right now." But I mean, how many movies do you see a like severed penis underwater get eaten, regurgitated, and then eaten again? Like that's new. That is a new thing. What else we have? Uh, Elizabeth Shue is the sheriff. She's fine there. Ving Rhames goes down as the hero. Yeah. Like they bring him back for the sequel, even though he clearly died. Uh, the Elizabeth Shue, I always liked her as an actress, and I can sort of see on her face that she's slumming it here. Yeah. But that uh, was one of the things in the movie that was like one of the most cringy scenes ever. Is she twice almost walks in on her son masturbating? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like being being caught masturbating has got to be some sort of like primal adolescent fear, but being caught masturbating by Elizabeth Shue, like goddamn. <laughs> Another highlight for me is, uh, I mean, there's all these death by fish, yeah. but uh, it's just, it's also the people. Uh, there's a guy that selfishly tries to get away. He jumps in a boat. And, and kills uh, so and many people. I, I, I watched that scene again. He's just like, get the fuck out of my way. And he's riding his boat through, knocking people in the heads, chopping with the motor. And there, there must have been at least 40 people that, that he just, himself killed. It's, it was just the chaos of that scene was, was great. Um, do you know Paul Shear? Yes. Yeah, he's the guy from, uh, he's in the league, right? Yeah, yeah, he was in the league. He's part of this podcast, How Did This Get Made? Uh, he's bald and he's got this white goo on his nose mm-hmm. for the whole thing. <laughs> it's a weird thing about this movie. He vanishes. He's on the boat with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's not. We don't see what happened to him. We don't see him swim away. We don't see him get killed. He just vanishes. Yeah, I never it's noticed that, but you're right. really strange because it's never addressed. And I be- I think he comes back in the second, maybe, I can't remember. But uh, yeah. it's very strange. Like, uh, I mean, they had a lot going on, a lot of balls in the air, but like it... <laughs> and in the water. <laughs> in the water. Uh, and again, honestly, the first time I watched the movie, I didn't notice it. But when I revisited it, having known who Paul Shear was, he kind of, oh, that's Paul Shear. Yeah. So then I was like... Where did he go? (laughs) What happened? And the movie also is possessed of one of these non-endings where it's over but it's not. Yeah. And sometimes that really bothers me, but it didn't bother me at all. In this movie, it just seemed absolutely appropriate to what we've been watching. Yeah, it was kind of, oh, yeah, of course, of course is how it ends now. Uh, It was Adam Scott from Krampus. Yeah, Doing some nice supporting work there. Again, they didn't... cheap out on the cast and it's not easy to play this earnestly i mean jerry o'connell had a big over-the-top cartoon role that would be fun to play but a lot of people are asked to quote unquote play it straight in this movie that's not playing it straight and that's a tougher acting job than i think you know people would think so high fives to everyone around high fives i think the difference in the six reviews with this one is the other movies end up being unintentional guilty pleasures perhaps right but i think this one was set made, out to be you say we're gonna make this i believe one of the, the behind the scenes actually says it we're gonna be like a guilty pleasure movie with excessive gore and nudity and and they succeeded they it worked usually if you're trying to make something to to be bad then you know it doesn't work but uh 
This movie's 10 years old already, I think. Is it 2010, I want to say? Yeah. In that neighborhood anyway. Yeah. I don't think it would be made today. That's, that's a shame. Isn't it? It is. Like, but I do feel like, uh, like edgy. Well, I don't know if this movie's edgy, but just shamelessly exploitative for the sake of being shamelessly exploitative is no longer a welcome thing anymore. Certainly not in a movie theater. Maybe you can rent it in some show or, or stream it on some site. Yeah. But going to a movie theater and seeing a severed penis getting eaten by a piranha—now <laughs> well, that's entertainment. Well, let's let's hope that we'll, we'll be able to be treated to that once again. Um, and uh, Alexander Aja is just very dependable. His remake of The Hills Have Eyes is and fucking excellent. epic. Yeah. He recently did this movie Crawl, which I just... That's another good one, yeah. Really, really like. And uh, uh, not everything he's made has been amazing, but like, he's consistent enough that if his name's on the project, I'm there. Yeah, he's got some talent. He likes to... He makes brutal violence, too, and... Uh, he can bring tension in some films. I mean, Piranha's not a tension kind of movie, but you know, he tries to bring someone at the end even. But. In order to pull this off, he had to know exactly what he was doing. It wasn't just about throwing a bunch of titties on the screen. It wasn't just... It, there was craft here. <laughs> it was part, partly. It was partly that, but there is craft in the movie. Like, I do think it was... There's some skill here. Yeah. Uh, for all of this shameless exploitation, for all of the, you know, gratuitousness, it's well made. And, and it's kind of funny for like the first 50 minutes there's like this constant bass beat just going through the party out. boom 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 <laughs> guys in diapers and, and beads you know throwing beads at women and, I, and again one of the things to telling things early in the movie uh, well, these two scuba divers get attacked early on and uh, they try to pull one of them out of the water and by the time they get her yeah. from the point of the attack to the surface and onto the boat they really needn't have bothered. There's just not enough of her left. That there's no way she'd be saved. But it establishes the stakes right away. And it establishes that we're not going to spare you anything. Like, at no point are we going to, like, cut away at the last second. And, no, there's a lot of really good gore. And, like, like I said, me and my wife watched it. And constantly we were both going, like, oh, oh. you know, And she's doing the same thing. Oh, oh, my goodness. Oh, come on. I love that but, Sarah watched it and yeah. that she liked it. I don't, well, I don't think she liked it. She said it was fine. Okay. <laughs> or she's meh, it was okay. But um, good for her for watching it with you. Yeah, she, she was a trooper for that one. But, and, you know, there were some moments where they did use some CGI as well. And some yeah. of it's less good and some of it's okay. But it didn't bother me, the, the shots that weren't really good. It's, yeah. It fit. It, it, was, it was fine. So the whole movie just works. It's, it's what it's supposed to be. They succeeded. <laughs> get dehydrated it's important heaven forbid we're in the top half now folks 15th position brother 15th position i'm going back in time after my most recent movie to my oldest movie on the list 1970 it's called i drink your blood this is a movie about rabid drug infested hippies on a blood crazed killing spree 
These are satanic hippies. Um, very crazy, this film is. <laughs> well put. Yes. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but uh, there's a group of satanic hippies, and uh, they beat a local woman in a small town and uh, who kind of has a thing going on with one of the hippies, who's the nice guy. He's not mean like the other hippies. It's a crazy, crazy film, Larry. And, I believe uh, you. I've never seen it. And what, what happens then is uh, the grandfather of this girl that gets beaten, he goes to confront the hippies who have uh, kind of taken over an abandoned hotel because their van broke down, as, as they do. Grandpa goes over to confront the hippies with his shotgun to get them out of his town, and the hippies feed Grandpa LSD and get them all messed up. So Grandpa's all fucked up. He goes home, and everyone's, Grandpa, what's wrong? There's a little kid in this movie. You just got to see this movie for this little kid. Like, he's... I don't know, like 12 years old, I, I don't know, younger maybe. But this kid, he's like, Grandpa, what's wrong? It's like, are you drunk? And they say, no, Grandpa's not drunk. They gave him LSD. LS what? And it's, it's great. So the kid is going to get revenge on the hippies. He's had enough. So he, he finds a rabid dog, kills the rabid dog, and uh, takes the rabid dog's blood and injects it into meat pies, which they then sell to the hippies to eat. And what happens next is... You know, hippie the picture violence. on the back where the hippies get rabies and which basically means that they have like toothpaste all over their mouth and they go around killing people in the town and each other and it leads to uh, a lot of bloodshed and it's it's rough it, it's not convincing as far as the violence but it's it's fun um, we got Lynn Lowry in here uh, you'll recognize her from the crazies okay. um, shivers cat people she's got a very distinct look it's funny because she plays in this one he had the film written and he saw a picture of, of Lynn Lowry and he felt the director fell in love with her face is that I need that face in my movie she's beautiful and so he said uh, I, she, he wrote a role for her but because the movie was already written he made her a deaf mute so she's in there <laughs> she's just, just present just to have a pretty face that's and, hilarious uh, everyone reacted to it well so he did write a scene for her at the end where she you know, does cut someone's hand off with a, a carving knife but this film, man, it's satanic hippies with rabies. I mean, uh, <laughs> that is compelling, compelling storytelling, I'm sure. I haven't seen it, but I think it speaks to this sort of, uh, at the time, there was sort of two thoughts in Hollywood. The, you, you embrace the hippie or the beatnik culture, yep. or you rile, rail against it, like you do one or the other. <laughs> Uh, like uh, the Roger Corman one, Bucket of Blood is just basically, yes. you know, bowing down to the beatniks. But there's something hilarious to me about the idea of like cannibal, violent hippies. <laughs> it's like, well, it's like we're all about peace and love. Not, and if you're not about peace and love, we'll kill you and fucking eat you. <laughs> there, there's a scene. <laughs> there's a scene at the beginning during their satanic ceremony where the the writing is, is beautiful, where the guy that's leading the ceremony says, like, let it be known that Satan was an acid head and that he wants us all to freak out. And, they start, <laughs> and it's just weird, because you're right. Hippies, isn't that all about peace and love? But, uh, yeah, and it's a very multicultural group of hippies that they don't really look like hippies. There's, uh, their leader is a Native American that always carries a sword. Uh, there's an African-American. There's an older Asian lady who's like a fortune teller. Um, uh, there's a pregnant woman. It's a weird group in the deaf mute, of course, but uh, it's it's 
it's very 1970, and it's uh, it's oh. one of those that I think it was. I'm not sure if it was banned for some time or not, but um, I got no comment. I haven't seen it, but I promise I will check it out and get back to you. But uh, right on. I'd be curious to hear. It's it's a it's a good time, and they talk about how rabies is also called hydrophobia, which means that they're scared of water. Um, oh, now apparently there is new. <laughs> there is apparently something about that where if you have rabies, it's hard to swallow, and so you can actually develop a fear of swallowing. So uh-huh. that's kind of where that came from. But to get away from these hippies, they would just splash water at them, and that was enough to scare them away. So they, they kind of took it a little bit further. <laughs> but the, the facial reactions on these guys when when they have rabies is worth the price. All right. Well, uh, again, I, I can't. <laughs> I believe you. I'll take your word for it. I, I, I just terrible. I can't comment on it because I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. I, but I believe. Uh, I think you. a lot of people haven't. But it's. <laughs> um, in my fifteenth position, and I put this right in the middle because I just didn't know where to rank it. And we talk about highly personal picks. This is from nineteen ninety three. It's an HBO original film directed by Anthony Hickox, starring Mario Van Peebles. <laughs> it's called Fully Clips. And uh, it's got Pansy Kitsit and um, I can't remember this guy who used to be in Scientology and ended up leaving it and uh, Jason Begay, I believe is his name. Anyway, for the mid-90s, it had kind of an interesting cast and for a made-for-HBO film, like it, it had rich production values. It was very sleek. It was very cool. This is like a SWAT team special ops crew that gets infested with werewolves. Okay. So they're super cops that get <laughs> turned into werewolves and all that that implies. And this is another one, sort of like Baby Blood, that I saw when I was a young teenager. And I thought it was amazing! And I found a used copy of it after forgetting that it fucking existed. Yeah. <laughs> and I started watching it again. But here's the thing. I stopped. I stopped wanting to preserve my memory oh. <laughs> of how much I loved this the movie really when I was a kid. Yeah, oh, it's not holding up. <laughs> it wasn't holding up, but it was cringy in a really good way, <laughs> if that makes any sense. It's like a slow motion car wreck, <laughs> but I don't know. I used to really love the movie because I thought it was awesome. Now I really love the movie because I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> And you just want it so you can touch it now and then. I can, and remember your youth. And, you know, I don't have enough Mario Van Peebles in my collection, you know. I don't think you ever can, can um, I remember the love interest in the movie is Patsy Kinsett. She was uh, the girlfriend in Lethal Weapon 2. I always thought she was really attractive. And it does have some cool action sequences in it, but it's not all that. But, you know. It does look more action-y from the cover, anyways. Yeah. I'm not sure if... It is a werewolf picture. Um, it does have its its dark moments. It's... It's definitely obscure, and uh, I didn't want us to have the exact same lists. <laughs> I don't know. Have Have you ever heard of it? Has anybody ever ever mentioned Full Eclipse? <laughs> I've, I've never. I'm not familiar with this film at, yeah. at all. Yeah. So, and that's probably what it deserves, if we're honest. But there's something about the movie. <laughs> Well, and for the record, I did end up watching the rest of the movie once I realized what I was watching. Okay. But it's one of those things, like, when you're a kid, it's, like, legitimately amazing. Mm-hmm. And then when you're an adult, it's just like, ah. <laughs> so, I was a dumb kid. <laughs> full eclipse. Uh, going on to 14. And here we are at 14. This was going to be the tough one. Oh. This is my guiltiest pleasure. Oh, wow. 
I'm even a little bit hesitant to pull it out on the table. <laughs> but we, we represented Full Moon, and now we have to represent Trauma. Okay, here we go. So, I'm just going to say it. The film is called Poultry Geist, Night of the Chicken Dead. I am aware of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is not a good movie, but I really enjoy it in spite of myself. It, it's packed full of things that you should not like. There's a lot of diarrhea. A lot of poop. There's a lot of poop. It's a musical. And it's, that's right, and it's a musical. I yes. just wanted to make sure that got out there because <laughs> yes. people should know it's a musical. Yep, there's a lot of lesbians. Um, there's racist humor. Um, and there's a lot of kind of fun gore, though, um, and imaginative, creative things they do with it sometimes with uh, these, these chicken zombie things. But it's it's not one you're going to recommend to everybody. But of the trauma films, I, for some reason, every time I put this on, maybe poo scene aside, um, I have fun with it. And I don't care who knows. Uh, well, I know now. <laughs> I have real problems with trauma. Yeah. I, I really do. There's something about the fact that they knowingly make bad movies. I would rather that you set out to make a good movie and you failed so spectacularly that yeah. this is what we ended up with. And that's what most of these in the list would be. That's what most of mine yeah. are. But Trauma doesn't do that for the most part. Well, sometimes they'll license movies. Like somebody made a movie independently. Like the Trey Parker and Matt Stone made that Cannibal musical. They bought it yeah. and they released they it under released. the Trauma label. But... A lot of the ones that are branded trauma, which this one definitely is, Kaufman's in the movie. Yeah, yeah, and he's directed it as well. Yeah, uh, so and it's just constantly bringing attention to look how sleazy we are, look how over the line we're going, look how much poop, look how much boobs, <laughs> look how much, and this it's that thing, the eh, come on you guys, it's the begging for the laugh that I slowly get to come to resent. Yeah. Like, I get it, you're being ridiculous and over the top. I get it. Yeah, you don't. I, yeah, you're selling. I I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me feel like you think I'm stupid that you keep reminding me of this, and it just takes me out of it. But this is a problem I have uniformly with, with trauma as well. Poltergeist itself is what it is. I mean, there's a giant zombie chicken, and uh, it's priding, taking pride in how ridiculous it is. And the movie is exactly what it wants to be. It's not my cup of tea necessarily, but I'm not. I'm not going to fight you on it. And I'm very embarrassed to have this one this high on the list in the in the top <laughs> half at 14. But because of how guilty this one is, I thought it should be higher just to show how guilty, how of a guilty play. Because well, this is there's a lot of you know, very reprehensible stuff in this movie. True story. But a lot of it, some of it is. I embarrassingly, I have way more fun than I should with it. I had a, bought a copy, got it previously viewed, I think when it was relatively new, and I watched it, and I was so meh, meh with it that I ended up giving it away, I think. But, here's the but. I came to regret it. Oh, yeah? There's like, well, maybe I shouldn't have just dismissed Poultry Geist. I mean, like, it it's was what it was. It's, it's certainly an individual piece. Maybe it was just the wrong day for me to watch Poultry Geist. So that's not exactly me defending it, but that's a true yeah. story. <laughs> okay. Poultry Geist. Okay. Night of the Chicken Dead. And, yeah, it's... So, this is not on my list, but here's a movie that we can just agree is amazing. Okay. okay. <laughs> David Cronenberg's The Fly. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. How do we feel about <laughs> The we Fly going? 2? Oh. 
I like the Fly 2. It's not the Fly. I think you and I are the people who like the Fly 2. This Fly? movie is fucking reviled. And I honestly... I didn't know that. I, I, I don't, thought people liked it. I don't fully understand it. I think part of it is there is a measured drop in quality sure. from the first to the second. Well, we're talking one of the all-time... Greatest creature features yeah. ever made, period, end of sentence. Yeah. Um, the ick factors at 20. Yeah. But, I mean, Daphne Zuniga and Eric Stoltz are decent, capable actors. I like them as leads. There's a really horrible villain who we see torturing animals yeah. throughout the series, and he gets a really delicious payback in the end of the story. And the climactic battle sequence, when Eric Stoltz finally wolfs out or bugs out, whatever it is, there's a couple of deaths at the end of this movie that are up there for me as far as creature violence. <laughs> One guy memorably gets his head squished in an elevator. Right. <laughs> and another guy just kind of gets almost bitten in half. <laughs> and, like... I don't know. It's not amazing, but it is really well executed. And I think probably was just had a because it was coming off the back of The Fly. I also want to mention the screenplay has contributions from Mick Garris and Frank Darabont. Okay. Uh, who both went on to do yeah. great things in the horror genre. I mean, neither of them would probably, you know, say this was their greatest screenplay, but like. Talented people put energy and thought into this movie, and uh, that's kind of fun seeing those names and yeah, and seeing what they became. There, and I connected with the when we see the young little boy, and he befriends this little dog in the the, the lab, and he figures out ways to go visit the dog, and they basically turn the dog into this mutated creation. Yeah, I remember the dog scenes were really tough to watch as a kid. It really upset me. It yeah. really upset me. <laughs> like, watching it now, it still upsets me, but not in the same way as when I was a kid because I'm such a fucking dog person. Yeah. And he ends up putting the dog down himself like he mercy kills the dog. Uh, just brutal. I'm an animal person. But it's avenged. That puppy dog gets avenged. <laughs> and, it does. Uh, I don't know. I wanted to shout out this movie, A, because I I do like it. I do have a lot of fun with it. For the longest time, I feel like I'm the only one. And I guess maybe that's why I felt guilty about it. I, like, didn't want to tell people that I like this wife, too, you know? <laughs> it's your dirty little secret. Exactly. Well, that's what it feels like. It's, it's like, not chicken of the dad, but it's, it's just, just like, a fly, too. But, like, the... Chris Wallace is the director, and he was uh, the special effects coordinator on the first movie. So he was basically directing the effect sequences, which was, you know, a big mm. deal in the first movie. So the thing that was one of the most important things, I mean, if you're going to jettison Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum, and obviously Jeff Goldblum couldn't be in the sequel, <laughs> and Gina Davis didn't want to be, they brought those effects. And as a yeah. creature effect movie... Even if on no other level it worked, which I would argue that it does, but even if it worked on no other level, it's a great creature movie. Yeah. So please be I kinder to the fly part two, everybody. Yeah, I don't see why not. People are jerks. So, yeah, that's... Yeah, I have no problem with the fly two. All right. I, I think maybe that it's... You don't even have to feel guilty about that. <laughs> but I, I get it. You just want more people to like it as well, much as you do. Or for someone to explain what exactly the problem was. Because <laughs> people really, really, really threw it under the bus. Well, for my next pick for 13, I think, you know, based on some of the things I'm hearing from you earlier, this might be a wasted pick. Uh-oh. But it's spot 13, so that's where Friday, Friday the 13th comes in. But it's Jason X. Oh, I have no problem with that pick at all. I mean... It's uh, very, very low on the rating scale. Um, 
It it's sucks Jason, in so many ways. It's Jason in space, yeah, it, it does. <laughs> but at the same time, it's it might be one of the most fun chapters. And I remember when I first saw this in the theater, and I'm pretty sure it was with you. I did not like the movie because it just didn't feel right to me. It, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And then time has passed, and I thought, what the hell did you want Jason in space to be? This is exactly what Jason in space should be. I can answer be. that question, Scott. We wanted Jason in space to be Freddy versus Jason. Because at the end of the previous Friday the 13th movie, that's what we were promised. Right? Jason yeah. goes to hell. We saw that clog. And then they waited almost 11 years for Freddy versus Jason to happen. So in the in-between, we got a couple more chapters. I love Jason in space. I think it, it's funny. And it does, much like Jason goes to hell, it's those two that feel... Different, different, like yeah. it doesn't quite belong with the rest of the franchise, but for its fun qualities, I can't completely dismiss and, and, it. And Jason X, as much as it didn't feel like it belonged, the more I watch it, the more it actually does feel like it belongs. Uh, especially, you know, they have the the hollow deck scene where they classic go back to the camp, and he's like, "This is this is old Jason. This is fine." And time, I think, has been really kind to it. I think people were really hard on it when it first came out, but now. What was this? Two thousand one. So you know, enough time has passed now that we look back on it with some fondness. The the effects are what they are. Um, it's got one of the best kills in the whole franchise. Frozen face. Yeah. Yep. And and a callback to one of the best kills with the sleeping bag. So um, it's there is so much fun with this, and um, well, like and I, I believe it is the lowest rated, usually of of all the Friday films, and. It's also one of, I say, one of the most fun. It's fun. And again, like sometimes you just don't overthink it. If you're having fun with it, have fun with it. Yeah. And it knows exactly how stupid it is. Like that line I quoted, this sucks in so many ways. Yeah. Like she's about to get sucked out into space. Nobody would <laughs> say right. that line. Nobody yeah. would say that line, but she said that line because we all appreciate it. It's like high fives. We all know what we're watching. Even the people in the movie know what we're watching. And you're right. I think I was a much more of a, quote, fanboy when it came out. So I was like, this isn't hard. This isn't Jason. This isn't Jason versus Freddy. What yeah. bill of goods are you selling me? And uh, no, uh, the it, it ages like wine. I would like, I think there are much more problematic chapters, personally, of well, Friday the 13th. I'll give a shout out to part five as well. Not on the list, but part five <laughs> is, is also one that gets shit on a whole lot, and I think the main reason is because Lack end, of Jason. it's not Jason, but there's a guy with a hockey mask killing people like Jason does. In the last minute, you find out it's not Jason. If you squint, pretend it's Jason. And it's a fr- it's the it it's feels, one of the sleaziest. It feels sleazier. Yeah. It's noticeably grosser <laughs> than any other ones, and that's the thing that made, draws attention to it to me. But to me, it's still a Friday film. Okay. But anyways, yeah, it was just funny. You were talking about the Friday Thirteenth films beforehand, and, and here I am. Here we are. One, and Thirteen seemed like the best place to put it. Uh, I, I again, it. it occurred to me to consider some of the weaker chapters of Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, but I just decided to just to say I like both of those franchises, warts and all. Fair like, enough. I'm just not guilty about it anymore. There was a time where I was guilty about it. I've outgrown it. Well, and as I said, my guilt kind of lays with Poultrygeist and uh, Evils of the Night. Not so much with any of the others, but right. I am who I am. My Lucky 13 from director Paul Campion and star Gina Varela it's another Kiwi picture. My second film from New Zealand. It's called The Devil's Rock. It's from 2011. Okay. And it's about uh, the end of World War II, I believe. These guys come to an island and find a Nazi outpost. 
and there's a woman being held captive there, or so they believe. But it turns out that this woman has eerie powers. She can take the shape of any woman that you are lusting after in her attempt to seduce you. But she is trapped on this island. She can't cross moving bodies of water. That's why they situated her there for the summoning. So these guys first have find this place, figure out what's going on, and then figure out what the hell they're going to do about it. And Scott's looking at the cover, and we have like a, a bright red naked demonic woman on the cover. Mm. And it looks like it might be some kind of softcore porny sort of exercise. With the tagline, war is a bitch. Yeah. Um, and again, this is not a movie that is great. It's a movie that's way better than you would expect it to be based on that premise and that cover. It's one of these things where it's like, it just, it shouldn't be as good as it is. And yet it works. And uh, it's a tough thing to pull off on a low budget. You know, they got one monster, so that's the focus of it. But it's also a period war movie that they're trying to pull off. And they only have a couple of locations. Yeah, do you see the Nazi symbols in the background? Yeah, 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 it is Nazi shenanigans going on. Um, But I don't know. It's It's got a quality to it. Low budget, it knows what it is. It's well executed, like... Yeah, it's a Nazi demon chick. It's about a Nazi demon chick. But if that doesn't stop you, right, <laughs> dead cold yeah, in your tracks, then that's your fault. Keep going. <laughs> keep going. But uh, I don't know. It's, again, it's another one that no one seems to talk about. And there's a super sexy, crazy <laughs> zombie. Okay, I'll buy it. <laughs> yeah, he's sold. <laughs> I just showed, uh, showed Scott the picture on the inside of the DVD. And, uh, she's attractive. Um, that's the Devil's Rock. It's yeah. like uncomplicated. I mean, I'm not foaming at the mouth over how great it is. It's just nobody talks about the movie. It's better than it should be. I like it. No one else seems to. It's on the list. It's a good time getting inside it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I'm I'm intrigued by it myself. Nice. <clears throat> number twelve. I got my only foreign language film at number twelve. Oh, very nice. Uh, one of my favorites. I love this film. It's a Tokyo Shock original called The Machine Girl. Oh, very nice. So this, this one might be debated whether it belongs as a horror or not. Um, I think the violence alone the, would the make it The violence in this, it's <laughs> definitely a... Fans of horror will enjoy this genre as well. Um, it's, it's your revenge story. It's, it's, there seems like there's a lot of Tarantino kind of influence over you know the Kill Bill kind of revenge idea. She's got a machine gun for an arm. Not like a machine gun for a leg, as in Planet Terror. Yeah, uh, it's a, you know, a Japanese girl in the schoolgirl outfit. It's it's sort of you know guilty play that way. But um, the the amount of violence in this is just so over the top. You got the uh, trademark geysers of blood. The blood is crazy. Like you wonder if the actors didn't drown. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. The and from moment go, I am into this film, and I feel like. Should I like this this much? And that's where the guilt kind of comes in. Um, seeing, you know, in this outfit and yeah. uh, jumping around. And, and it's ridiculous. Some of the some of the scenes, some of the gore is really good and some of it's iffy. <laughs> but you let it all go. Uh, you got fingered sushi. Um, it's weird. Like you can the hear guillotine. the pressure line, like from the blood squirting out yeah. of the hose. Like, like you <laughs> actually exactly. hear air shooting out with the, like and the the blood and water mists around people yeah. as their throats are cut and it's it's so over the top 
<clears throat> that one almost could be on my list. I, I guess I didn't. It did just didn't jump into my mind. But there was a bunch of these around the same time, like Tokyo Gore Police That's or the Metal one, yeah. Man, or like where the the violence is just so crazy and over the top. To me, and this is why it's appropriate for the guilty pleasure list. That is the reason to watch the movie. Like, yeah, the story, even the acting, even though there's a layer of separation from the performances, I'm not really impressed by anything in the movie except the violence. But I am very <laughs> impressed yeah. by the they, violence. They, they go there, and uh, it's it's crazy fun. You know, it's, it's I think I didn't even mention the plot. Her brother gets killed by a by a gang. Classic revenge. And, and she gets her arm cut off, and so she uh, goes to a mechanic who's a. Uh, or I think her brother's best friend also got killed, and it's his parents that help her gear up, and they go for this revenge, and it's so enjoyable. One of my, I make this even a guiltier pleasure, because when I watch foreign language films, like you, I'm sure, I watch it in the original language, yeah. except for these Japanese films. It doesn't matter. Because they're <laughs> such a visual experience, yeah. I don't want to miss anything reading <laughs> words, and it's almost, it makes it, these are so silly in a way. It makes it feel even sillier, I guess, with the, the English dubbed over Japanese action. And for whatever reason, it makes it more fun. Yeah. But uh, uh, Tokyo Gore Police is another good one. But Machine Girl has always been my favorite of, of that whole line of films. You know, that's one of these ones that I picked up used at one of these places where you have to buy five to get your deal. Okay. And, like, it sat on my shelf for a while. Like, I, I, I didn't know what I had. <laughs> And then one night I watched it, and it was just like, Jesus, what? What the fuck did I just watch? And that's honestly what the movie has to offer. It's not that it's amazing or great. It's just that holy shit factor. It's yeah. the wow factor of the movie. I don't know that I could call it a good movie, but it is an impressive movie, if that makes sense. <laughs> sure. Do you understand the distinction? Yeah. No, I, you rating it like that makes me feel okay with it being on the list. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of the scenes in there that always stood out when she kills uh, one of the, uh, the gangster's wives, actually, um, I think it is. But anyways, she opens up a, a pot and sees her husband's head inside. And then the machine girl appears behind her, just face coated in blood. She yeah. sticks a knife in the back of the, this lady's head. And blood and vomit and corn and everything comes out of her mouth into the... It's, I almost gagged watching that scene. But it's... Like, I'll watch, wow. I'll watch the machine girl every Friday if I could. <laughs> it's, maybe, it's more of a Christmassy thing for me. <laughs> I like to do Christmas Eve with the family. <laughs> uh, speaking of Christmas, sorry, that's what brought it to mind. In 12th place, I have a nice. Christmas picture. Yay. Do you have a Christmas picture in yours as well? well oh, you already did. I already did my Christmas one. <clears throat> uh, I did not include any of the Silent Night, Deadly Night movies. I, I guess I could have. But I wanted to bring attention to Santa's Sleigh. I knew it. Starring yeah. Bill Goldberg, starring uh, David Steinman. <laughs> what a weird movie. While I'm on this Christmas horror thing, though, I just want to give a shout out to Saint... And to Rare oh, Exports. Those are good. Those are both really good movies, but I'm not as guilty about those no, two. No, I think those are too good. They, to be yeah. Those are just good films. I just wanted to give them a shout out because like, I really love, love those Although films. there is, which one is, uh, there's a lot of naked old man Santa in, in Rare, Rare Exports. Exports? Yeah. But it, it's hilarious. <laughs> I love it. Um, no, this is... Santa's Slay, right? Santa's Slay. And uh, uh, Bill Goldberg is the star. I don't follow wrestling. I don't know anything about it. But a lot of the times when, especially before the age of The Rock, when they brought a wrestler into a movie, they couldn't really act. They would be a good physical presence, but that would be about it. 
Like some of the most successful yeah. transitions would be like Kane in the See No Evil franchise because he barely spoke. But yeah. a lot of the times they're kind of steroid victims and they have trouble enunciating. They're incredibly impressive physically, but in no other way. Whereas I think Goldberg here actually brings some game as his version of Santa. And the whole community that they create here, they're very conscious about how toxic everybody is. The mayor's terrible. The preacher's terrible. Like, other than our two love interests, most of the people in the town are terrible. So that when Santa Claus starts killing them, we're not, like, devastated by what's going on. (laughs) It's like... Completely goofy and stupid, and again, it's it's over the top. It's over the top, and it knows what it is. Like uh, it's okay with being as stupid as it is. It's not. It's not trying to sell you an honest bill of goods when it's not. Like it just says, you want to have fun with a violent (laughs) Christmas movie. (laughs) Here it is. The opening sequence, like nine people are killed, (laughs) including James Caan and Fran Drescher. I don't know how they got those two people into the movie, (laughs) and. you know, they did some interesting budget considerations. According to the script, he was supposed to have 12 zombie reindeer, but they couldn't afford that, so he has one zombie bison, and it totally works. <laughs> it totally works. Uh, Emil- Emily DeRaven stars in this movie. She was in Lost at the time, and you'd think that she had a bigger fish to fry than this, and she kind of scored points for me that... She said yes to this. Yeah. She came to Canada in the winter to shoot this movie, and she spends most of her time in Hawaii shooting Lost. So, I don't know. Uh, smiles all around for Santa's sleigh. Excellent. No, oh, good pick. It was nice we both got to share our favorite Christmas movie. Aww. All right, I know you know this one. In 11th place from 1987, The Video Dead. Nice. <laughs> Again, it's one of those where <laughs> the art on the cover, nothing in the movie matches. I have a t-shirt uh, with that Do picture. you really? I <laughs> yeah. would love to get that. I've always loved a t-shirt with that art on it. I love it. Yeah. Excellent. It's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a guilty pleasure zombie movie. Oh, can I just say? It's yes. terrible. Oh, yeah. It's a <laughs> terrible sure. movie. It is a terrible movie, and I, I, I love it. Yeah, and that's where I felt like, I felt like is this too bad to like? I, I don't know. You know, the, the scene where the zombie pops up from the washing machine. Yeah. What, why, why? why was there a zombie in there? But they throw stuff at you. and uh, The girlfriend with the dog is like one of the worst oh. actresses I've seen on film. Like ever, period, end of sentence. She is amazing in how bad she is. And, and I haven't rewatched this for some time, but I felt like, no, I don't need. Should I rewatch this? No, I don't need to. Video Dead's on the list. It's From memory is is enough. Um, you know, the garbage man, the guy that lives in the TV that warns him of the evil. That, he shows up once. Yeah. <laughs> Why? And, and they do show throw some surprises at you, too. Like, the guy that we think is going to be our hero... He doesn't quite make it, but nope. uh, some of the effects are, are not super awesome, but they're they're good enough to be really fun. And this is a, f- I don't know, you're you're right. It's, it's a time capsule movie. Like yeah. it should only exist when it did. And I think it's because we're of the video age. The idea of the video dead, these zombies that come out of the the TV, this tube TV, um, 
it speaks to me. But I could see this. It's kind of incredible to me that it's not on my list. But on, in a way, this could be called like the video dead guilty pleasure. Because to me, video dead was my original guilty pleasure yeah, movie. Yeah. Like this is one of the ones that Jeremy and I would rent from 49 Cent Video just to laugh at. Yeah, when and, you're like passing up Chopping Mall. Oh, yeah. This yeah that, that, we would say no to Chopping Mall, but yes to video dead. <laughs> the, the discerning people that we were. Uh, would have been a great double feature. I'm actually yeah. like kind of disgusted with myself that I didn't put Video Dead on the list because that oh, really yeah. probably should have been there. But like, uh, it just kind of—it's been a personal thing of mine. It's yeah. if this will be my excuse for not having it on the list. It was almost too personal. Okay. <laughs> it was like it was almost like the movie that just I liked. I'm I'm glad that you discovered it as well. <laughs> no, I'm a big fan, and you're right. It's. I would say it's bad. Like, it's, it's kind of bad. Do not overpay for it if you're curious about it. No, like, uh, overpay for it. No, I say you should. It's a double feature on Screen Factory with Terrorvision. Oh, it's I guess. Worth the, it's worth the price. You get, you get Terrorvision as well. So <laughs> so there's no complaints but there. But Terrorvision didn't make my, my list. Uh, Video Dead does. Um, how do you feel about Larry Cohen? Well, he's, he's my second favorite Larry. Oh, <laughs> right in the feels. <laughs> I... I, 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 I weird feelings about him because I don't love all of his movies but no. I kind of love all of his movies but I don't but I do uh-huh. and I was waffling I was going back and forth oh I was this close to putting the stuff on the list yeah yeah but I went with Q the winged serpent okay uh, this one I'm, I'm not as familiar I, I, I would have talked about stuff Michael Moriarty David Carradine Quetzalcoatl, which is like an Aztec legend, it's like a dinosaur stop-motion animation creature, yeah, yeah. shows up and starts eating people in the city. And Michael Moriarty has got all these entanglements, uh, finds out where the nest is, and uses it as a way to get rid of some of the obstacles in his life. And it's fucking weird. It's a weird movie. I love Michael Moriarty because he's just a strange dude. <laughs> like And like he's... Not one of these people that I think became crazy over time. I just think that guy came out of the box just mad as a hatter. But there's something cool about him on screen. Yeah. And the special effects are stop motion, which is to say they're not convincing at all. But I really enjoy them. There's something about a stop motion. It's just, it's charming. Yeah. It's like they're doing the best they can. And. Uh, and there's just moments in the movie like there's a window washer and the guy waves at the window washer and then a shadow passes by and the guy's head's been taken off but he falls forward into the glass and his neck hole is squished against the glass of the window nice. <laughs> like, and you're just like that's fucked up well, I'll, I'll be honest like, I haven't seen this movie uh, right. I'm, I'm aware of it right. and I've seen you know the clips from it and I've always kind of brushed it off. I, you know, you see the dragon on the front, and I've always been kind of shy of, uh, you know, fantasy dragon type yeah. movies. And I've always just kind of thought it's that's what it is. Um, but you know, maybe it's, it deserves a look closer yeah. look for me. Um, honestly, like the stuff could be here, and if I was doing ties, maybe I would call this a tie with the stuff. The stuff is more of a crowd pleaser, and there's more overt satire in it. Like they're actually saying something about consumerism and. Yeah. And it's a goofy, low-budget monster movie on top of it. This is a low-budget monster movie that has nothing to say. <laughs> it has nothing to say beyond this is a goofy, low-budget, stop-motion monster movie. But it's got its charms, man. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, cue the winged serpent. Okay. Oh, my goodness. What can we say about this one? Number 10. We're in the top 10. Top now. 10 time, brother. Top 10. These are all some getters. 
This one I, I could have put as high as six, and I could have put it thirty. <laughs> I do, this it, you like what the fuck movies? Yeah. This is the ultimate what the fuck movie. <laughs> it is from. Where's this from? Nineteen eighty six. The film's called Spookies. Oh wow. I haven't even seen that movie since the 80s. Okay. <laughs> I have it on this French DVD where it's called Les Spooky. For a while, this was the only way to get it. The right. movie's still Spookies, but it's on the cover it says Les Spooky. It's another 49-cent video rental, man. But, man, this movie is, is so bad. They're, <laughs> it's oh, aggressively terrible. <laughs> but it is so watchable. And there's so much. All you do while you watch this whole movie is just say, "Why? Why? <laughs> what are you doing? Why? Why is this happening?" <laughs> I mean, in its defense, it was two separate movies that were tried to be edited into one oh, incoherent wow. story. Um, one of the stories, or one, the first film was a bunch of people going to a party where there's no party, and then they wanted to make a different movie. They recast it, shot new scenes with a warlock and a little boy, and. Uh, and this were cat, but they they throw everything in this movie, and it's it is ridiculous, and it's inco- don't even try and understand it, oh, don't try and follow blowing it. Blowing my mind, Scott. Like just seeing that picture, I remember that VHS box, and I remember even by the low standards of like Video Dead, we were just shaking our heads at how <laughs> unreal this is. Like the bad movie. Like people, this should be with the room. Or, or Birdemic. It belongs in a museum. Well, no, it does. <laughs> it, it, it should be in that company yeah. of those movies that are so bad, people will show up at midnight and pay money to oh, watch Oh, for sure. <laughs> it's terrible. Now, the effects in it are fun. Like, they throw everything. There's, jeez, uh, I, I didn't write any notes down, but you've got these little lizard monsters, which are like claymation. You've got, uh, you've got this spider woman who, like, sucks this guy dry of all of his life and blood and you got you got demons you got these mud monsters in the basement where they fart when they attack they added fart noises for some reason Perfect. i don't know who thought these monsters would be scarier if they were flatulent yeah but it's hard to be scared when you're laughing the entire time and it's with these seven teenagers i guess even though one of them looks 50 <laughs> and he's wearing like a business suit and none of them are having any fun they're going to try and have a party where there is no party and they all look bored they all hate each other they're playing with an Ouija board they found clutched by a dead body that doesn't look anything like an Ouija board uh, there's there's so much craziness topped off with uh, the Grim Reaper that you'll see here on the front and it's the Grim Reaper is off he's got these glowing red eyes and if you push him off the roof he explodes nothing in this film makes sense there's about 35 zombies at the end if you have Shudder this is on Shudder right now and if you have the chance to watch uh, Joe Bob Briggs with The Last Drive-In, he recently did, uh, he covered this one last season, and it is his best episode, in my opinion. It He helps wow. you through. It's a tough, it's a strange movie, but uh, it's it's a hell of a fun time. Well, I'm glad to see, I guess, that it's been rediscovered, because I feel like I forgot it existed until you showed me that cover, and then all of a sudden everything just came flooding back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there, like, since we're on it, there was another one called, I think, I want to say Forever Evil, and we were trying to debate which was, like, the more incompetently executed movie, but, uh, and I can see the picture of that one, but I don't know if it's been rediscovered. I recognize that one. I want to say Forever Evil, but Spookies, this is not a recommend unless 
you're a so bad it's good on my account unless it's yeah. you're into a so bad it's good thing if yeah. you if you appreciate that sort of thing yeah i believe everybody in the cast is making their film debut in this film and also their uh film departure yes it's a bunch of one and dones um and there's there's so much and uh, it's it's crazy uh, you talked about there's a scene in humanoids from the deep with the guy with the dummy right one of the characters in here carries a puppet with him, and this guy is to provide the comic relief, and he provides none, and it's <laughs> it's painful how unfunny he is, and uh, you just gotta see this movie. There's inspiration you can see from the Evil Dead. Um, when this movie starts, there's a little boy walking through a graveyard, and it's and there's this weird wear cat with a pirate fluffy Seinfeld pirate shirt on, and he's like going, and it's really weird. And you're thinking, okay, this is going to be one of those movies. But trust me, stick with it. It's going to get worse. I promise. <laughs> Anytime you think it's hit bottom, you're wrong. But you have yet to see what this movie's going to become. <laughs> it's it's a it's so fucking good. Well, I can't compete with Spookies. I would be a fool to try. Um, my number ten is from 2012. It's from Australia. It's directed by Kimball Rendell, and it stars Sharni Vinson. You might have noticed her from. Your Next. She was the oh, okay. survivor girl in Your Next. And she did a movie called uh, The House Down the Street, I think it was called. Anyway, this is called Bait. Um, oh, it's a shark movie, yeah. It's, 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 it's a ridiculous shark movie. Uh, a bunch of guys are robbing a superstore, uh, like a, a grocery store. I don't know if that's a thing that happens a lot, but in this movie it does. And <laughs> yes. while they're robbing the store, a tsunami hits the store, flooding it with water and sharks. Are you with me so far? It, it wouldn't be a rank and review without you adding one shark movie. We needed sure. some shark representation. Here's what I'll say about this movie. If you were watching it for the first time, as I was, and you get to the first kill about five minutes into the movie, your instinct will be to stop the movie. And I am sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Don't. Keep going. The first kill is by far the worst kill in the movie. I think because it was originally done in 3D, they were thinking this was going to be right. an impressive 3D effect, but it fucking sucks. And I can totally see people say, oh, this is supposed to be the big establishing moment of the movie. I don't want Checking anything to do now. with it. I, I, I get why you would do that, but I'm saying please don't. Uh, yeah, the premise is ridiculous. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that it isn't. But once we get to the group of survivors, and we don't know who the good guys are, and we don't know who the bad guys are, and there's great white sharks eating them, I keep feeding the popcorn into my face, and I keep smiling. It's not smart. It's entertaining. <laughs> like, there's uh, aspects of this the movie that drives me crazy. For instance, there's a parking garage below the grocery store okay which is only partially flooded and yet the floor above it is completely flooded. like there's shit like that like logical stuff in it that doesn't really make sense <laughs> but there's really great shark action in it and like it's one of those movies that starts bad and actually gets better and better and better and better by the end of the movie it's kind of hard no, it's, it's, a, it's a guilty pleasure but it is a pleasure no okay <laughs> and, and I'm sure at this point in your rank and review history, you're tired of recommending Deep Blue Sea, so it's time to <laughs> throw the bait out. <laughs> There's bait. <laughs> Excellent. I don't know what order to say. You've not seen it then. You know what? It's funny. I just, like, literally just picked up a copy. Someone uh, gave oh. me a, a, I think it was a Blu-ray, actually. Oh, Someone lucky. was just getting rid of it. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think the company says bait 3D, but it's uh, look, it's possible I'm overselling it, but please give I, it. A I haven't watch. got around to it yet. Give yeah, it a watch. Just picked it up. <laughs> but like I said, don't stop after the first kill. <laughs> Keep going. Give it a chance. Okay. All right. Number nine, inside the top ten, 1994's beautiful gem, Mosquito. Yay! And we shall or have talked. We will talk we will about, be mosquitoes about mosquitoes in, in depth. So was it Gunnar Hansen that brought you to it, or was it the mosquitoes? No, I mosquito. It was all mosquito. Um, I mean, you don't even... I don't think Gunnar Hansen's name's on the the title. I just know you're, you're a fan. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm more of a fan of, of Texas Chainsaw, not necessarily him himself, but, uh, you know, I, I like his portrayal of Leatherface. But, no, this was massively giant mosquitoes, um puppets and practical effects for the most part and when they're cgi it's so silly and and fun still um yeah no mosquito is is my kind of film and it's not everybody's kind of film it's it's kind of silly and it's got some really 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 wouldn't act the acting drops at a full letter grade to me like i honestly think if the acting uniformly was a little bit better that this might be a genuine cult for sort of item there were scenes with the acting was so bad that i was laughing during serious scenes and yeah. that, that helped me get through it but uh it's it's i find it to be a good time and i feel like mosquito was not talked about enough right no, uh, again, it's. I think the, our lists are going to be full of these movies that people might have missed. So a lot of good. I know people don't rent anymore. A lot of good watching recommendations <laughs> here. So I was gonna say, a lot of good rental uh, suggestions. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. Like I didn't know what you're going to list. You didn't know me. There's a chance we could be listing out, you know, up to sixty movies that need to be sought out more. Um. I know it's hard to say. Well, we'll get more into Mosquito because we actually do a proper review of that one. From the producers of The Blob and Prince of Darkness and the special effects wizards behind Evil Dead 3, Hard Target, and Batman Returns comes the science fiction film of the year. It came from another galaxy. It transformed one of Earth's smallest insects into a bloodthirsty swarm of terror. Now, five people brought together by fate will confront their worst nightmares. There is definitely something out there. Aliens, and they're everywhere. And this guy's obviously been zapped. Are you insinuating that my brother and I have done anything wrong? Something is killing these people and sucking them dry of blood. It's a mosquito, all right. I'm positive. All right. Gary Jones is the director of the motion picture Mosquito, which Scott and I are going to be talking about right now. Yes. <laughs> um, so this came out in 1994. And just two or three years after this, Starship Troopers would come out. And... Yeah, I mean, obviously this movie doesn't have the budget or the effects, you know, to pull off what Starship Troopers would. But I think one of the things that will hurt Mosquito today to the modern audience is the special effects. Which is offensive to me because, to me, 
the best thing that this movie has going <laughs> for it effects. is the special effects. But in that sort of retrofit way. Like the early digital effects in the movie don't look good. They just don't. But the big puppety mosquitoes yeah. that are smashing into people look really good. And the gore effects and sort of the cartoon corpses that we get from the mosquitoes definitely are good. I, I had memories that I'd watched this movie and thought that it was it had its charm, but I, I didn't have really powerful feelings about it. And I'd never seen it out in the real, like, free world for sale, so I'd never picked it up okay. uh, before we were going to have this discussion. So this is me revisiting it. And as I was watching it, I wasn't sure if I was loving it or not <laughs> until one thing happened. Okay, what's that? <laughs> There's a scene where a woman is naked in okay. a tent. <laughs> That's, all right, this is Larry we're talking to. I'm, and I'm Larry uh, right now. a giant mosquito has stuck its proboscis into her buttocks yep. and is draining her of her blood. And her boyfriend comes running to her aid. But as he's running to her aid, he takes a swig <laughs> of his beer. <laughs> This is the yeah. kind of movie that it is. Like, the dude takes a swig of his beer as he's running to help his screaming girlfriend. <laughs> it's a love-hate experience, and in that you will love or... Not that you will love or hate it, but I think while you watch the movie, you can experience both. I understand why it's a guilty pleasure on your list. Okay. It didn't make mine. That's where I'm starting with yeah. Mosquito. <laughs> uh, I will say I, I passionately adore this, this film. Right. And uh, I see... It's creaks and it's problems, and they're very apparent. Um, the The acting is let's, a real problem. There, there's no real acting, um, but your the effects. I love these, but I could see someone like if my son walked into the room, he'd say, he'd "Be like, what the hell is this?" And say, "It's giant mosquitoes. What's your problem?" But uh, you know, growing up in the prairies, mosquitoes are a real thing. What if they were, you know, the size of as a as a hatchback car? And I love the puppets. I yeah. love the stop motion. I love the forced perspective. Everything but the digital effects really charm me. I'm not fooled by them, mm -hmm. but I'm very charmed by them. Yeah, and you're right. We had some stop motion early on. Uh, it's the age-old story of an alien ship crash landing on Earth and uh, stop motion mosquitoes drinking the blood of the dead alien. And then that's, that's kind of what happens. And... Uh, the aliens seemed very deliberately War of the Worlds-ish in its <laughs> affectation, the hand and everything. Is it just me? I noticed when the first... I hadn't watched it for some time, but when the first frames of the movie started and you see spaceships, did you for a second feel like, did I put the right movie in? I didn't remember <laughs> this being a spaceship. Well, movie. again, it's this, a retro effect, but it feels weirdly too good for the movie that you're watching. Yeah. And I think that's something that I would say about the movie. Like, it keeps lowering your expectations, <laughs> but then exceeding them. Like, the well, acting will be so crooked in a given scene that you're, like, taken right out of it. But then there'll be this amazing special effects kill, which yeah. will bring you right back into it. Well, yeah, we have two fucking minutes into the movie, and, and we're treated to one of the monster aliens getting hit by a car. Yeah. And it's all in its cheesy, practical, you know, glory. And... Uh, and this is two, two minutes into the movie, and you know now what you're in for. You say, oh, it's going to be like that, is it? Okay, I can, I can do this. And uh, if, oh, speaking of that car crash, the first scene when they, they hit, the, hit the mosquito, yeah. Um, the guy that hit it is not the least bit phased either. No, he just, at all. He's like, oh, what did we hit? I don't know, something. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get where we're going. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, and the girl he's with is... An insect expert, and she can Convenient. identify a was it proboscis or and proboscis? Pro proboscis? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then you get uh, Gunnar Hansen showing up with his 
crew of misfits. Um, and yes, we're treated to Gunnar Hansen, a.k.a. the old Leatherface, <laughs> picking up the chainsaw once again. I couldn't help but wonder if this wasn't a fairly large part of the appeal of the movie for you. The presence of Gunnar Hansen. Well, that did. That scene got applause from me. When he picked up the chainsaw and he says, oh, I've had one of these in 20 years. Feels good. And yeah, I start a little bit of applause for that. But again, at the risk of hurting your feelings, can I ask a hard question? Yes. Is Gunnar Hansen good in the movie? Oh, he's horrible. He's <laughs> horrible in the movie. He's joyously horrible, though. But like... Not in a self-conscious, like, <laughs> I'm lost and unprepared for this bad movie, in that he actively isn't very good in the movie. No. Nobody's particularly good, but you can see he really is having fun with it. Like, he says this is his favorite role, or had said this is his favorite role. Okay. He, he, he prefers this to Leatherface somehow. I guess the experience of making Leatherface wasn't as fun as it was, no, no. but, like... Uh, it's great that he's having fun doing this, but I, I don't think this is going to win you over if you're not already a huge fan of Gunnar Hansen. No, like he's uh, he's horrible. There's there's one I wrote down a line of his. Um, what they said, or they said to him, "Getting out of here alive is like wishing for ice water in hell." Yeah. And Gunnar says, "This is hell." <laughs> and he, if I wasn't having such a shitty day, I'd kill you right now. And, there's a scene where he holds the uh, the lady kind of hostage in the RV when they're driving. Yeah. And that scene right there is just a masterclass in, in bad acting. Yeah. And I love it. <laughs> it's at no time believable whatsoever. But uh, that's the fine line that the movie's walking, though, because I don't think there's a movie called The Lost Skeleton Cadaver that's just like pretending to be a, a cheap movie made in the 60s with bad acting and bad premises and yeah. bad sets. And the whole thing is we're making fun of it. It's a comment on it. <laughs> the thing is, is that I don't think that's what's happening here. I think this was an earnest attempt at a creature feature. I honestly do. Yeah. And that's part of the charm, honestly. Like, clearly, these people are friends of his that he's got to be in his movie. The first old couple that we see in the movie, apparently, was the director's parents. Okay. <laughs> who look up and see the asteroid or the spaceship fall out of the sky or whatever. Yeah. He's clearly just getting a bunch of his friends together to make the best movie that he can. Now, how good that movie is, that can be debatable. But how much joy I took from it can't be. Like, I did have fun with it, but I don't think just anybody would. I think you and I could drink some beers and point and howl at Mosquito. But I think unless you were sort of in that age of movie and sort of appreciate the retro effects and like the almost self-consciously uncomfortable acting. I don't know if they didn't have time to do multiple takes or if it was like I said, <laughs> yeah. it was just a bunch of friends of his, but... It's so strange that the acting is so bad, but the special effects are pretty decent. Yeah. You know? um, yeah I like the basic storyline plot structure, I think, works. The score is garbage. Like, the actual music background in the movie is like, take you out of its synth bad score. So there's ups and downs throughout it. And, and I think what you're saying, we're going to say, you know, about 60 times as we go over a lot of these movies. They're not going to be for everybody. Um, but they're um, personal, I guess. They are for yeah. us. Yeah, I, the score, the score in this one didn't really jump out at me. I, I can't really recall it, but uh, I take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's got that synth thing. It sort of sounds like a worse version to the soundtrack to the Princess Bride. Okay. Like it, it's clearly not orchestrated. It's all yeah, yeah. synth, and uh, it just graded on me after a point. 
Um, so you're 100% right, though. The, the main draw in this film is the special effects. And yes. I, just because they speak to me, and these are, it's a 100% my kind of movie. And, um, and that's the main, the main reason why. Uh, there was one scene I wanted to point out as well that I do like in movies when this happens sometimes, when someone accidentally gets killed. Right. When uh, one of Gunner's crew is being attacked by a giant mosquito, they try to shoot the bug, and he accidentally shoots his friend. His yeah, and he's and he's dead. I just like those accidental oops moments. Uh, like World War Z had one where the guy tripped and sh- yeah shot himself. Death by like, human error. Yeah. I seem to remember a young lady getting killed by a chainsaw in the Dawn of the Dead remake yeah. by accident. I like those things too, but and for me it was badly handled here. They telegraphed <laughs> it. They telegraphed it because they said, "I don't want to shoot my boy. I don't want to shoot my." And then he shoots his friend. Like. <laughs> If they hadn't like all but announced that that was what they were about to do, I'd be fun. The other great thing, because I don't think we've sold the special effects. Like I didn't mean to say that they were bad special effects. I think in their own way they're great. Yeah. They're just sort of handmade lo-fi. Oh yeah, they're, you know, they're cheesy for sure. Yeah, yeah, and they work perfectly for the movie. Uh, case in point, Gunnar Hansen's. I got confused. I thought it was his son, but later he refers to him as his brother. I think it's because his name was Junior. Okay. <laughs> his yeah. brother's name was Junior. Anyway, however he was related. I don't think it's too important for the plot. Right? It isn't. He gets swarmed <laughs> by giant mosquitoes, and they suck so much blood out of him that his eyes explode oh, yes. out of his head. <laughs> like, And again, that makes no sense. But would I cut that? Fuck no. no. It's kind of like a Pee-wee's Big Adventure sort of special effect, too. But, yes. it's, but it works for this kind of film. It's like when the mosquitoes attack him, his his body turns, like, rejects the world the way the atmosphere of Mars did in, in Total Recall. <laughs> like, it's way, way too over the top. And in that way, it is perfect. The violence is so extreme that you can't take it seriously, and that's a good thing. But the amateur quality of the filmmaking and some of the acting... That's so bad that you can't take it seriously to a bad extent in certain scenes. Yeah, you, you don't want to show this to everybody. I can't you know, bring my wife downstairs to watch Mosquito. Um, but this is get a, a like-minded buddy, get six beers, and, uh, and yeah. have a hoot. Uh, I, I, I'm sort of surprised it doesn't have more of a reputation, to be honest. Like, it, it does have an Ed Woodish charm, and it's not trying to be a bad movie. I have less, like patience with a movie uh, that's kind of of the trauma position where okay. it's a bad cheap movie we know it's a bad cheap movie uh, uh, look at how bad and cheap it is this movie's not really doing that I think it knows what it is but it wants to be the best mosquito movie <laughs> that it can be and uh, I give it a lot of points for that for, for me I think when it loses it a little bit is when it tries to be funny though mm-hmm. there are moments where you can tell from the wacky music that they're trying. This is supposed to be a funny moment, and and it just isn't. Nope. No, the humor never elicits a smile whatsoever. Um, other than you know, uh, <laughs> there was one joke that made me chuckle just because it's dumb, and you don't really see this in, in movies anymore. But it's almost like a, uh, the two guys are drinking beer in the boat fishing, and yep. he tells like a you know a gay joke to yep. his buddy. He's like, hey, didn't you used to blow bubbles was it when you were a kid? He was like, oh, yeah, I did. Oh, you saw him at the circus last week. He says hi. And, you know, and I, I kind of chuckled because it's like, that's like a 1994 kind of joke. <laughs> it is a very 1994. And again, it, if you fight this movie at all, you'll win, right? <laughs> did, did I say blow chuckles? I meant I bubbles. Said bubbles. I did say bubbles. Okay. Pretty sure you said bubbles. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think we're just sort of circling around the same point. Yeah. It's all, it's all sort of rickety. But it's got a lot of charm. 
Yeah, and of course, if your house is being under attack by giant mosquitoes, you're going to start boarding it up like Night of the Living Dead. And yeah. It just had... A lot of these films I watched for this uh, podcast seem to have that scene where you just start boarding up the house and uh, wait for the onslaught of the skeeters. Everybody's got it. Um, yeah, I think I think enter at your own risk. Fair enough. Yeah. In ninth position, for me, I have a 1983 film by James C. Warson called Night of the Demons. Shut up. You kidding me? I am not The, the Bigfoot movie? The Bigfoot movie. Oh, I'm standing applause. I'm <laughs> out of my chair. Larry, that's awesome. Uh, I can't believe you have this on your list. Never mind at what, Nine? It's in ninth position. Holy cow, I man. could not fucking believe what I was watching when I watched Jeez. this movie. Like, first of all, this is a real problem for me. Not that there aren't any good ones, but why is it so hard to make a decent Bigfoot movie? <laughs> like, for every good <laughs> Bigfoot movie, there are 20 fucking garbage Bigfoot movies. Shouldn't be that hard, yeah. And this I mean, is Night of the Demon. This seems like it's out of the 80s, but it could be out of anywhere. And in a lot of ways... There's shit in it that is forward thinking. There's a found footage sequence in there. I, 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 it's hard to articulate how crazy that movie is. I mean, it looks like it was made for television, but it's way too intense oh. in its violence and its sexuality for it to have been made for television. But it does have these weird insert commercial here moments in it. It's strangely forward thinking. There's a found footage sequence early in the film where we see footage of what happened to previous people who encountered Bigfoot. Yep. A dude gets his dick ripped off by Bigfoot. That's a scene that happens in that, this movie. Yeah, that's very memorable for me. <laughs> I remember, you, well, you know my mom. I remember watching this movie once when I was young, young. Right. And my mom walked into the room right at that moment. Of course. So, yeah. And she walked in and the guy's penis gets ripped and you see it. And blood. And she's just like, turn this off. <laughs> Why? Turn it off. And then he, I can't watch this. Um, respect to your mom, but she just has terrible taste in movies. Yeah. Like, can we be real about it? Carol has terrible taste in movies. This has always been kind of one of my favorite Bigfoot movies, and I felt like, like you, I felt like no one else knows this movie. <laughs> and here you're kind of saying the same thing. I get frustrated, too, because I want good Bigfoot movies, and it's hard to call this a good movie, but, like, it really, really is aggressively out there and strange and violent in, in a way that you're not expecting it to be, but I've said it before, for every good Bigfoot movie, there's, like, ten terrible ones, and I just don't understand why it's so hard to make Bigfoot work. And I said, they can't all be Harry and the Hendersons, but... No. Um, and it's funny, I watched this, like, a week ago, because I wanted to put it on my list, too, and, and I just... <laughs> I couldn't take something else out, but I'm so glad that it's here. Yeah. You got a little bit of softcore pornography, a little bit of extreme violence, and a Bigfoot that doesn't, frankly, look that great. But no. all of these ingredients somehow make sense. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's some low patches in the film. It's a little bit of a battle to get through at times, but 
please check out Night of the Demon if you're a connoisseur of the strange and the but, usual. But be, be wary. Yeah, it's definitely a very specific item. Interesting in a way because there's a cult, I guess, that sort of follows the Bigfoot uh, yeah. or the demon, I guess. Strange title for the movie, though. Yeah. Well, it just sort of came in this no man's land for the Bigfoot movies. Because at the time, we're more likely to get Harry and the Hendersons or something <laughs> like that. Um, just a strange oddity of a movie. Like, I don't know who made it or who it was for or, like, how it was released. But, like, it doesn't feel professional, but it is very memorable. And that scene where the Bigfoot creature kills those two Girl Scouts Damn. by uh, swinging them against each other. And, and they, they're accidentally stabbing each other. It's... Is another one, but like, there's plenty of stuff that you just have not seen in the movie. It's like a lot of uh, sometimes I'll see movies that are being released to Anchor Bay or that's got a cult following around it, and it will always be about because there's one scene in it. Yeah, like Burial Grounds, The Night of Ser- Terror. There's this big noise about that zombie movie, and there's this weird mm. incest angle yeah. between a mother and son. And I honestly think that's the thing that people know about that movie. This movie has all sorts of things in it. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's weird because a lot of it is told in flashbacks and uh, storytelling. Yeah. Um, but it's something about it. This was a hard one for me to find, and I added it to my collection. I, I didn't think anyone else in the world owned it. So. And here it sits. You're, you're my brother, Larry. My boys. All right. Okay. What are we at? Eight? Number eight, we got uh, the film directed by Juan Piquer-Simon from 1988, entitled Slugs. Um, which is the exact same place which I am <laughs> placing Slugs. We're in the same director of pieces. Uh, that is excellent. I, I thought, because my last film was about giant mosquitoes, I thought this was going to be a good place to put this. What could be scarier than giant mosquitoes? How about small, slow-moving slugs? It's just... It's over the top. The gore is delicious. And it's nonsensical in, in why this is happening. It's fascinating how the movie doesn't even sort of try to like show us how the slugs are managing to pull this shit off. Like, no. like well, it's happening. You're watching a slug movie. Deal with it. <laughs> like, that's the answer. <laughs> exactly. And there's a scene with a couple making love in a bed. And by the time they're finished, the floor is covered it's, it's carpeted a, it's an with ocean slugs. of slugs, and there's no escape, and uh, and these slugs eat you away, and it's it's gruesome and it's and it's harsh, but it's it's kind of uh, it's out there. There's a scene in a restaurant. I can't remember how does the oh, slug get in his brain. I'm I think he's to... chopping salad. I he believe. Eats some and, salad. Yeah, and the slug is inside the lettuce, and he cuts it up and he eats it. Ugh. And like he just starts bleeding out of his ears and his face. And it's just like this really horrifying sequence. Um, It all culminates in a sewer where a main character and a very expendable buddy go down to fight all the slugs. And like, there's very few, I I mean, there's surprising moments in like, oh my God, that's gross. But like, there's not a lot plot wise that's going to be like, oh, I didn't see that coming. The, the townsfolk of a rural community are dying in strange and gruesome circumstances. Yes, they are. It's funny because I remember I read the novel called Slugs when I was a kid, and I felt like I was so intelligent because I read a book. That, so sophisticated. And then they made a, yeah, well, they made a movie based on the book. Well, I read the book. Let's compare. It's not. Book was better, I bet. Oh, yeah. And there's so many unanswered questions in the movie. And, but, no, this, it's a, a great movie for this spot. 
It's, I'm so happy. It's funny you have this in the same spot. It sounds disingenuous <laughs> to say this because of the director uh, being the same guy who did pieces. Yeah. But I think this is a compliment to the director that they're both included here because they're both objectively like be dumb dismissible movies right but because they're directed with such love and enthusiasm we like them in spite of their flaws so and, and honestly those are the only two films of his that i'm really aware, aware of. of and and i wish there was more because the two i'm aware of i am really aware of and and i'm passionate about so i really wish there was more from him that i could uh Swallow uh, up. This is one of those dare-based party movies, too. You know, if, if you've got someone who's new to the horror genre who thinks they can hack it, you try yeah. showing slugs. I think <laughs> even people who are, you know, pretty thick skin have problematic moments with this one. There's a real high ick factor, and I appreciate yeah. that. And, and there's some moments where they show close-ups of the slugs' faces, and they got these big teeth, and it's, <sighs> it's kind of comical, and they're, they're kind of creepy in their own way, but I endorse slugs. And, and I see you do too. That's yes. awesome. So I guess we go right to number seven then. Yes, please. Well, you hit this one already. I'm, I'm going to double double down on it. Humanoids from the deep. Nice. Roger Corman. Yep. The tagline, they're not human, but they hunt human women. Not for killing, but for mating. Mm. If that doesn't add some sleaze, then I don't know what does. But, uh, again, I mean, I already talked about it. It's an is-what-it-is experience. And like... This one is one of those movies, like most ones we've talked about it, that if you like it, you'll probably like it a lot. If you don't like it, you probably hate it, right? Yeah. Like, but it answers that question, what if the creature from the Black Lagoon was horny? Yes. Which so That's kind of what would happen, I guess. <laughs> but that final scene with the, uh, the big festival is a great scene. And yeah. what they're able to do with two costumes, I think, is magnificent. I'm and I, I, I I'm such a broken record about it, but I miss practical effects, man. I really do. It's just this fix it in post will do it with computers, even though it sometimes even ends up looking better. There's something tactile about these like oh, yeah. physically made special yeah. effects. Yeah. You'll, you'll I, have young people come in and they'll watch what you're watching and they'll say that's that just a terrible. guy in a suit. Yeah. Like, well, of course it is, yeah. but it's it's something that's really there. And it's just like the actors are reacting to something real. Yep, and, not a uh, ball on a stick yeah. that will be replaced later. I, I'm a big fan. Let me completely uh, com contradict myself with my next selection because I was just complimenting all of the prosthetic, real, <laughs> physical effects <laughs> okay. that we were talking about there with the... the <laughs> well, Slugs has some really good <laughs> prosthetic effects too. Uh, I want to talk about a 2002 film from Rob Bowman, a guy who worked a lot on the X-Files TV series. And he gets Christian Bale and Matthew McConaughey to fight post-apocalyptic dragons in a film called Reign of Fire. And it's such a bizarre movie. It's like, it seems to be like very negative and harsh and pointed in its criticism of sort of that idea of the America. Because <laughs> the yeah. Americans that okay. are portrayed as the conquerors come in and just bossing people around and being total dicks. Matthew McConaughey looks, sounds, and acts like a penis through the whole movie. <laughs> like, like I, I've said actual... it before, I'm saying it again. He's got his head shaved bald. and Like, it's just, it's it's weird. But I, I believe that if you watch the performance, you'll know what I'm talking okay. about. And, like, they are making a comment on this sort of alpha male and how he's kind 
kind of disgusted with the Christian Bale character because he's been trying to keep people alive, keep them surviving. And he's like, surviving ain't good enough. We've got to kill these fuckers. <laughs> and their clash is sort of what the story is based on. What I like about Reign of Fire is that I cannot compare it to anything else. And it's right before Christian Bale and Matthew McConaughey got way too famous to be in a movie called Reign of Fire. <laughs> this is well after Chainsaw Next Generation then. Eh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he had, the McConaissance hadn't happened yet. And this is before the Batman movies for Christian Bale. Yeah. So like uh, they were, you know, they were high profile actors to headline a movie, but they weren't. Oscar winners, Matthew McConaughey and, you know, coveted star Christian Bale. Um, It's a weird movie, and that's why it's on the list. But I encourage you, if you've not checked it out, to get it I'm I'm not familiar with Reign of Fire. Um, Like I said before about dragons, I've not been a big dragon guy. And I guess if I was to pass by this, it looks medieval to me. And it's not medieval. It's post-apocalyptic. Right. And that changes everything. That, (laughs) that, That makes, there's some interest in that. If we're talking about knights and dragons, I'm not. That's not my jam. But uh, hey, if it's this high on your list, maybe it's. Uh, um, I do think that there is something almost too serious about the way they're treating it. Like okay. dragons are taking over the world, and there's a memorable sequence where McConaughey's crew have these guys that are parachuting outside of. Uh, their airplanes and the dragons chasing them as they fall through the air while they try to net them. It's so insane. Like, the movie's bonkers. But But it it plays it straight, though. It does. Like, they're all absolutely... Gerard Butler has a supporting role in this, and again, he's a huge action star now. When this movie came out, some guy. And there's a memorable scene where he and Christian Bale are teaching the kids Star Wars. They're teaching him the story of Star Wars and Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader as if it was like some fairy tale history. Okay. It's it's a weird, it's like interesting... A fa- sounds like a family guy episode. <laughs> right? But it's got everything. The, chick- the kitchen sink and everything else is included in Reign of Fire. <laughs> Alrighty. Down to number six. Yes, please. Pull this one from the magic bag. <clears throat> Oddly enough, I don't know what's going on with uh, IMDb, but this is my highest rated movie on the list, according to their ratings, whatever that means. Take it for what it's worth. Okay. But Rex Reed says it's the sickest movie I've ever seen. It's from 1982, and it is called Basket Case. Oh, vintage. Frank Henenwater's cult classic. Um, I really dig this movie. It's a lot of stop motion, and it's the gritty gritty new york before um, it all got cleaned up and yeah before they ruined it and cleaned it all up <laughs> but you know with the peep shows and the the hotels you rent by the hour and, and all that shit but this is a movie that uh that i really like and i feel a little bit dirty when i watch it and i feel like is it okay is it okay that i like this i know horror fans will like basket case a certain percentage of them but i i know Regular movie fans would walk in and say, what in God's name are you watching? Um, I I like, but maybe don't love Basket Case. Um, There's definitely diminishing returns with the subsequent sequels. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, I'm I'm definitely a Basket Case 1 guy all all the way. This is the one to watch. 
there's something about the scream that Belial makes, which yeah. is so even today kind of disturbing, it's disturbing to me. Yeah. There's something really troubling about it, and they must know it because they go to the well with that scream a lot. Whenever I think of Basket Case, that wail just starts sounding in the back of my mind. He's, he's just like a mass of flesh and Plato, or <laughs> they were conjoined twins, yeah. and they got separated and this has rendered both of them crazy but especially Belial this little sort of like ball of skin and bone as we call it uh really wants to get back on with his brother and will kill anybody that he sees as a threat to their relationship and there is a not unpotent psychological angle to it yeah they're kind of connected mentally but at the end of the day what the movie is about is sort of the freak show aspect of you know the monster jumping out and eating people and stuff like that It's a lot of fun. I don't have a copy of it, which might be a reason why it's not on my list. Okay. Um, I have affection for it, but it's never been one of my fave, fave, faves. Yeah. Know? There's a scene when uh, Bilal is left alone in the hotel, and, and he just trashes starts trashing the, room. the place. And just the way it's done, how, seeing this creature move along the floor using its arms, and, and that scream that you talked about, I can hear it right now just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's knocking over the TV, and the way it can propel itself up and, and jump at people and, and kill. It's, uh, and all the foolish people that try to take a peek in the basket. Yeah, what's in the basket? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so there you go. Basket case makes my list. Solid so, choice. So is it okay? Is it okay to like basket case? It's okay to like basket case. Okay. Again, it's not on my list, but I don't, I'm don't. i not like wagging my finger at you or anything like, how dare you, sir? Well, uh, that's good because we're going to actually get scummy coming up. <laughs> back to the 80s for me, 1989. From the director of Friday the 13th, Mr. Sean S. Cunningham, Uh Deep Star 6. It's uh, set at the bottom of the ocean like a bunch of uh, 80s thrillers were towards the uh, end of that decade, like uh, The Abyss and Leviathan, and there's a bunch of them. And uh, this was very much the cheapest and least successful of them. (laughs) And uh, I I don't know if... it's hard to say. I know the Abyss is an incredibly impressive movie, but it's it's a science fiction film, <laughs> and uh, this is a horror movie. I reviewed it with my buddy Matt, and we way oversold it when we watched it. We were both surprised revisiting it at how much it. fun we had watching it. Like I had memories of it being yeah, Deep Star Six. It was a cheesy '80s fun, but I rewatched it and I just howled. I just thought it was yeah, yeah. so much fun, and like uh, because it, it just overperformed for me, that elevated it. But We've also come into this discovery, because that same episode we reviewed a movie called uh, Deep Rising, didn't make my list, but could very be on the list, would be a very suitable sequel to this, because the same monsters have been awakened from the bottom of the sea. And a few months ago, I found the third in the trilogy to finish it. It's called Underwater. <laughs> so it's Kristen Stewart. And like, it took three decades, but they, but these three movies together are just like... You got the perfect trilogy. It's a perfect trilogy. trilogy. And you could tell yourself that they're directly connected. <laughs> so like, they're that close in what, what goes on in them. But we're here to talk about Deep Star, Deep Star Six, Six with David Evigan of uh, uh, My Two Dads. <laughs> and jeez. Uh, good God, that's a deep pull. <laughs> and uh, dads would mean something else if Miguel today. Miguel Ferrer, uh, he's a actor I really like. He died a few years ago. Uh, he's sort of playing sort of a difficult character. He makes a lot of mistakes and causes a lot of problem for the group. Um, they are 
inspecting this cave system beneath this site that they're building at the bottom are worried about the integrity of their construction and they set off an explosion which releases some monsters and monsters eat them and they have to get out of this high pressure scenario and they do not have the budget to pull off this premise no at all at all at all at all but everybody's on board everybody's playing it 100 straight and there's some actually decent acting in the movie like better acting than the movie deserves <laughs> and um i don't know it all comes all the pieces they don't fit perfectly but they fit enough that it just makes the movie so charming to me uh deep star six and again uh if you like that deep rising and if you and like that get, underwater <laughs> and then you got your night set yeah some underwater fun yep have you any thoughts on deep star six have you it's, ever seen it? it's been so long what what year is that that's from early 80, or late say. 80s okay I, i'm very vague i matt I, mccoy from the uh police academy series memorably gets bitten in half in this movie jeez I'm gonna have to. I, I don't own it, so it's been some time. But uh, my, I do have a memory of of that film. My copy cost me four dollars, but oh. it was full screen. Fair warning. Oh. Wow. Full screen. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird that they still full. call it full screen. Yeah, I know. But uh, because you see less of it, because so. it doesn't cover it. Uh, but yeah, that's number six. How how appropriate? Deep Star Six. Oh wow! Look at that! Like it was planned. Top five time. Oh, my God. So it's time to get into the real Thinking Man's movies now. <laughs> Let's get serious. Yeah, so no more fluff. This is the intelligent stuff <laughs> that, uh, you know, like this one that I have called The Slumber Party Massacre. <laughs> oh, really? It made the list? The Slumber Party Massacre is number five for me. This is one of those films that I continually rented as a kid. Of course. And I mean, you look at this cover, and you can probably guess why. We have uh, five, the driller four, killer. Yep, yeah, four women in in uh, their underwear and a guy holding a drill above them. Uh, uh, a shout out as well to probably the bigger guilty pleasure, Slumber Party Massacre Part Two, yeah. because it is zany and makes no sense. It's ridiculous. And, and they forgot the scary parts, and, and it's aged kind of well as far as now looking back about how <laughs> just just stupid mental crazy movie. It is. But I had to give the nod to the the original because of how much I loved this film. It's got nothing. There's no uh, plot to get in the way, so it's just basically a guy kills young ladies with a drill. Yes, yet there is a little bit of an insect brain here. I okay. do think it's playing on uh, the female's sort of fear of sexuality of you know having their virginity taken from them of penetration well, and the whole phallic drill thing true. we uh, do have a female writer and director yeah so there's something to that as well yeah um and also you were talking about corman and his like saying you have to have nudity in it i, I watched the special features i have the same edition you do and uh, she talked about it as like uh so we were all agreed there was going to be nudity and if you watch that shower scene that was us getting the nudity out of the way. It's not that it was the only link, but at the beginning, yeah. all the girls have a shower and they chat with each other. And there's nudity, but it's the most, like, perfunctory, like, this is what a naked body looks yeah. like. It's like, <laughs> there's no reason for there to be nudity no. here. There's nothing sexual particularly about it unless nudity is just inherently sexual for you. It's strange. It's like 
It's like the way you study these naked women the way some nature documentary would study a bird in the trees. This like this is a naked female. This is a naked human. female form. Exactly. Yeah. This not it's not contributing to the story. It's not contributing to the character. But <laughs> to the story. Check but. out that bush. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and and it's sort of that adolescent fantasy of being able to see what goes on at a female slumber party. Yeah. Um, we're never invited. We don't know what goes on. I assume they all get in their underwear and have pillow fights, which I, I believe they do in the movie. <laughs> but uh, and then they order pizza, and the pizza guy dies in a great scene. And nobody's phased. No, and they <laughs> they start using the pizza guy as a table, and one of the girls starts eating pizza. Yeah, you're not the, eating that, are you? Well, I'm hungry. The tone of the movie is all over the place. Like it doesn't know when it wants to be scary, when it wants to be funny. And I personally think that this killer himself is a little bit overdoing it with the level of evil that he's bringing. Not that he'd be the nicest guy in the world, but he seems to have like resting Satan face. <laughs> yeah, <you know? laughs> fair to say. Um, I like it. I did. I didn't consider it for my list, but I mean, it's it is definitely a guilty pleasure slasher movie. That's what Slumber Party Massacre is. It definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not fighting it for being on your list. And, and I think you've always said that you had a hard time getting a cup, getting a rental of this when you were a kid. Yeah. For whatever reason, the guy at the video store refused to let you rent this. Yeah. But he'd let you rent The Exorcist and Hell another Razor one that and... I'm going to be talking about actually in a few minutes. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. So is that okay? We're good on that. Num- my number five. Here's uh, one that might be a little bit uh, obscure. You were talking about the full moon, okay. Charles Band, World yeah. of Things. I also made a selection from that. This one kind of blindsided me because I kind of discovered it recently. I don't know what you're going to feel about it. <laughs> it's called Hideous. Okay. Uh, it's deformed, depraved, deadly creatures. Um, There was a phase in the late 80s where little monsters were really big. Yeah. You know, gremlins, critters, etc. You know, I think this is a little bit that, but with a little bit of like reanimator injected in it. Are these all claymation? Yeah, well, largely claymation or with the close-ups from people with affected makeup. Okay. Like they they change their tactics a lot. We don't see as much of the monsters as we'd like to because there's not a big budget. So they have to fill it out with all sorts of weird character quirks. I'm going to ask this of you. Have you ever seen anybody get pulled over in a winter landscape and then be robbed or taken from their vehicle by a topless woman wearing a monkey mask? Not more than a couple times, no. Because that is a thing that actually happens in this movie. Like, it, it's, it's a real thing. That happens in this movie. I'm just showing Scott a still picture of a woman wearing a gorilla mask, topless, topless in the snow, stealing a guy out of his vehicle. And all this can be yours for the small price of watching Hideous. This is all in Hideous. And again, this isn't even me saying that Hideous is a good movie. (laughs) This movie is going to be hitting you from the left and the right with just, what? That's the the experience of watching the movie. You're going to be like... What? <laughs> and then a few minutes later, you'll start to get a little bit bored, and then something will happen, and you'll go, <laughs> what? <laughs> and I'm like, this is the thing about Hideous. It's just like, it's so cheap. It's so fucking weird. It's so, like, 
I don't know who it's for, yeah. but part of me just loves that it exists. <laughs> like, I'm not sure who it's for, but I think it's for me. Maybe, maybe just barely. It's for me. But because, like, I feel this is another one of these ones where I feel like, am I the only one who's seen this movie? <laughs> like, I have not seen Hideous. So good yeah, on you for and it. And I here it is at number five. It is at number five just because of, like, for me, originality goes a long way like uh -huh. like if like same thing with rain of fire going that high just like i can't compare that movie to anything and i cannot compare this movie to anything um, and if you know full moon features in the band enterprises you know what to expect from yeah. the production value uh so yeah it's going to be cheap and it's going to be sleazy but that's that's the <laughs> whereas, whereas mine was 30 yeah you're, you're way up at number five with this puppy so, <laughs> Apparently. so maybe hideous and creepazoids would be a good double, nice double feature, feature. One day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what have we done after <laughs> then recording? we can see which one's really better <laughs> that's right so that was hideous wow uh, I was wondering if you would have, uh, like, that was one of those cases where it was either going to be, what the fuck was that? Or you were going to be like, no way. I have it in number four. <laughs> no, I do not have it. Uh, unfortunately, Hideous didn't make my list. But uh, my favorite Thanksgiving slasher from 87 did make my list. It's called Blood Rage. Blood Rage. Blood Rage. That sounds really familiar to me. Have I seen Blood Rage? Blood Rage. Talk, yeah. Tell me about it. Blood Rage. Well, let me tell you about Blood Rage. <laughs> Blood Rage takes place over Thanksgiving. Oh, my God. Blood Rage. Uh, how do I explain it? It is a very, very, very poorly acted slasher from the late 80s that did not get a lot of love. Um, the kills are great. There's a lot of blood. Uh, the cat, the tagline on the on the Blu-ray says, "This Thanksgiving, it's not cranberry sauce," and it's funny because that's a line that the the killer says. You know, he gets he licks the blood off, and he says, "Hmm, it's not cranberry sauce," and it, and it, and he says it again later, just in case he didn't get it, the joke the first time. Uh, it's a movie about there's twin brothers, and one of them, for whatever reason, when their kids goes crazy and, and starts kill somebody at a driving theater. And then when people notice, he puts the knife in his brother's hand, puts some blood on his brother, so his brother gets locked up for years and years for being mental. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, he's crazy. So then one day he gets out, and uh, he's apparently coming home. But the crazy brother is at home, and he doesn't want anyone to find out, so further killings ensue, and it is batshit crazy. I love This is kind of one of those where the acting is so strange that... Uh, this just belongs in a special place in my heart. There is a line with bad acting where it can actually come full around and actually start enhancing things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm looking for uh, who it is. Louise Lasser. She, I believe it's her. At, at any rate, I can't remember who it is. But uh, the, the mother of these kids, she goes insane partway through the movie. And it is such a treat to watch her doing what she does because... It, it doesn't fit. She just loses her mind. She's sitting on the floor eating, you know, Thanksgiving leftovers, just sitting on the floor under the, the fridge doors open. And then she starts vacuuming. There's a scene where we just watch her vacuum for a while. And, and she's insane. And then she calls the operator to try and find her boyfriend who she thinks may have been killed. She's yelling at them for a while. And then she finds out she has the wrong number. But like, why are these scenes in here? It's, it's zany. And uh, it's got a great ending. And... 
Blood Rage, I, I love watching this every uh, every Thanksgiving. But. Again, I, I guess I can't really speak on it. For some reason, that title really resonates. Like, I, I feel like I've heard that title, but none of what you're saying sounds it's, familiar. It's been one that's been very forgotten. It's also called uh, Nightmare at Shadow Woods. Oh. Some releases, it's called Slasher. Uh, sometimes it's called, uh, I don't know, Shadow Woods. That's All right. of those are less familiar to me than Blood Rage. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's one that I didn't really catch in 87 when it was out this came out as a, a fancy arrow blu-ray on a shelf one day and i said this looks like my shit and so i pulled it off and took it home and it became it won a yearly classic <laughs> well that's good i think again i haven't seen it but like i know the kind of movie you're talking about where the, the slapdash strangeness of the performance is actually weirdly sort of an add to the experience instead yeah. of taking away so um, where, where I, I may be, not know that particular blood rage, but I know the type of yeah. movie you speak of. It, it's the one where you know it, the act, the overacting doesn't quite catch the the bastards moment of pieces, but it tries hard to come close. Good deal. Uh, we need more Canadian content. We probably do. I haven't been talking about enough Canadian films, and you you had brought up that I wasn't allowed to rent movies like uh, <laughs> Slumber Party Massacre. <laughs> One movie with lots of tits in it that I was allowed to rent was Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night yes, 2. Yes, yes. Uh, the reason the guy would let me rent it is because it was shot in Edmonton, which was like 20 minutes from the hometown where, where I was living, and That's I guess awesome. he was proud about it. <laughs> um, here's the thing about Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. It has absolutely nothing to do with the original Prom no. Night in any way. No character crossover, no story crossover, nothing like that. What Prom Night 2 is is essentially a unsubtle ripoff of Carrie made for no money in Edmonton starring Michael Ironside. Mm -hmm. And I really genuinely, not even ironically, very much enjoy this movie. Yeah. And <laughs> dare I say better than Prom Night? <laughs> A case could definitely be made. Like, um, Let's make it. The special effects for the time it was made are actually pretty decent. There's a scene where where she like comes out of the body during the climactic sequence. Yes. Yeah. And like she emerges out of this other corpse. And it's a very solid, practical effect. And there's a couple of okay kills in it. But again... The lockers. To go back to me yeah. being a sleazy piece of shit... I have this image burned into my brain of this girl, blonde hair, crimped blonde yep. hair, walking stark naked, stalking another one of her uh, friends in, in a locker room. And the girl hides in a locker and she psychically squishes her. I saw that when I was too young. <laughs> so I was, on one hand, terrified by the violence of the scene, but on another hand fascinated by the nudity in this scene yeah, yeah. and uh and and seeing them both together at the, at same, the time, same time you were confused how do i feel about this and i made this uh, case when i talked about the movie when i reviewed it on the podcast i don't think the movie's smart enough to be doing this but for that scene we have a naked woman pursuing someone and in every other horror movie we have a dude with a knife pursuing a naked chick. And I don't know, it's, a, it's an appealing reversal to me. They do a similar thing in um, The Faculty, the Robert Rodriguez oh, yeah. alien movie, where a naked woman is yeah. chasing them all around. I don't know. I appreciate the nudity, and I appreciate that there was a little bit of something to the nudity. Also, just that I've talked about it again and again, Canadian movies are fucking darker and weirder than they need to be. And 
prom night two is definitely guilty of that like one of the characters they make a point of letting us know that she's pregnant before they kill her and like there's just a l- extra layer of darkness and ick that just shouldn't necessarily be there but in some way uh, makes the movie more distinct there's like, there's kind of shades of nightmare on elm street with it too i find yeah with you know the uh, she's getting that, more powerful like of, sucked into the chalkboard it feels like a nightmare on elm, C- uh, elm street dream sequence yeah you know the the horse that she's riding with that big creepy tongue yeah but yeah there's creepy things like when she makes up with her father like, Ugh, like i felt that's really, a tough like, that's a great example of a scene that didn't need to be there but was no, totally i think there. it needs to be because that is disturbing <laughs> yeah. and it, like not in a good way but like it really stands out that's troubling as far as like you know, and the mother, like, what have you done? And, and the father realizes, what have I done? It's just... It's a strangely, I'm going to say, important movie to me, too, because I'm a kid, and I realized this was made, like, next door, practically yeah, in my yeah. neighborhood. Like, horror movies aren't something that happens in Hollywood or in, some ma- in, in, in Italy or in some magical faraway place. We make great horror movies in Canada, and, like... I don't know that that had ever occurred to me before I watched Prom Night 2. I was very young when I saw Prom Night 2. Like, too young when I saw Prom Night 2. I was six. (laughs) And I remember watching it with you and Karen when I was a kid, too. Like, this this made the rotation for us. Oh, I'm sure, too. And uh, I don't know. I've always had a soft spot for it. And I guess I'd forgotten how much until I revisited it for the podcast. And then I was like, I kind of unabashedly... I'm totally behind Hello yeah. Mary Lou. I get why it's not for everyone, and I get that it's kind of ugly. But give it its day in court, kids. <laughs> that I no, that's a good pick. It's funny because I I rewatched this a couple weeks ago. Oh, nice. In consideration for this as well, okay. it didn't make my final list, but it was in consideration. And uh, I think in the end, I thought maybe this is too legitimately good it's too it's, good I, I don't know I, I get why it would be there because as I said I considered it too it's I'm glad it's there there she good sits call. hello Mary Lou the that's best, my number the, four the best of the prom night series I will stand by that alright we're going although on. they're all amazing oh. let's be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> alright number three 1980 this one is not really this one's guilty in a different way I'm just going to pull it out on the table here. It's Without Warning, also known as It Came Without Warning. Now, the reason this is a guilty pleasure for me is because I have to admit how much this film fucking scared me as a kid. Right. And it's not really scary looking back at it, but... I love the it, alien in it, the, the alien, I thought the alien was terrifying, and these little discs that the alien throws that sucks people and... I thought it was like the scariest thing I had ever seen. I remember I'd show my sister and my cousins would come over. I think I recorded it from Super Channel on, on a VHS. And we watched it like every weekend and we would all have nightmares. And this movie affected me. Uh, and a decent cast too. It's weird seeing some of the names here with uh, what, Martin Lando. Is Jack um, Palance in there? Jack Palance, yeah. And uh, um, what's his face with the red hair? Um CSI guy. Um, but yeah, it's not as sleazy as a lot of the films here. I don't even think there's nudity in it. But um, but for whatever reason, this film affected me. And looking back on it, it's a little creaky. It has some dry spots. Um, but there's a scene with this lady that finds her boyfriend or, or whoever seemingly asleep in a chair. And she turns him around and he's got one of these sucking discs on his on face. Him. 
and he's drained of all life and she turns around and sees the alien in her cabin and it's reaching out to her that image was burned in my head i thought that was the scariest thing ever and it's weird looking back on it now i watched it before we came out here just just that scene and uh, thinking like wow that's that's it eh well I guess I'm sort of embarrassed that that scared me that much. So well, I've run that's into strictly this why it's there. Before I remember that old ghost story, The Changeling, uh, with George C. Scott. I saw it when I was a kid. There's a scene where a woman gets chased around the house by a wheelchair. I saw it when I was a kid. Out of context, terrified me. When I reviewed the movie for the podcast, I was like, "Oh, that's what that was from." This isn't that scary. Um, I talked about that like with the movies earlier on, where like a movie I loved when I was a kid. So I well, the Full Eclipse. I loved it when I was a kid. Found a copy, thought that I, oh, I'm so lucky. Yeah, yeah. And then I started watching, and it was like, oh, I feel like that's the experience you were having with this one. Like, uh, you know, it was amazing when you were 12. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was one of my first Scream Factory Blu-rays I found. Nice. Uh, like at first, I think I bought one off eBay. It was just a bootlegged DVD of it, and I was so happy just to have that. And then this got released. It wouldn't have mattered how much money it cost. I yeah. needed to have this. Um, David Caruso. Caruso, thank there you. There you go. <laughs> David Caruso wearing weird, ugly 80s shorts. Very short shorts, that's right. <laughs> you can almost see his balls hanging out the side. It's <laughs> funny because he's usually such a macho guy and he's such a douche harness in this movie. I showed this to my daughter, the case. I told, I told her, Brooke, this movie used to scare me when I was a kid. And I showed her the back, this alien, and she started laughing. laughing. <laughs> and she said, that was scary? He said, yeah, it was terrifying. Yeah, it was scary. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know it is what it is, and uh, again, this, this won't scare an audience today. I don't think. I don't know if they were called anything, but these discs that got thrown, we always called them screechers. I don't know if they're called that in the film or not. I don't remember. But me and my sister and my cousins that would watch this, um, we would call them screechers, and we'd say, "Oh, when he has a screecher on," because they would make that screech, screech, screech sound whenever they were thrown or sucking on their face, and it damaged the hell out of me. <laughs> Well, there's something to be said for a movie that really makes an impression at a young age. And again, it's not on my list, but I also, you know, have affection for it. I have that exact same copy on my wall. Um, I, I just like, again, I think it was one of those things where my memory of the movie was a lot stronger than the movie turned out being. Yeah. That's true of a lot of the movies that I saw when I was young and I've decided to revisit. But then there are other movies that are just bad, but I like them anyway. In third position, I told you I was going to make room for my buddy, Mr. Stephen King. Oh, yeah. And his regular uh, collaborator, Mr. Mick Garris, and this movie called Sleepwalkers. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't even know <laughs> where to start with Sleepwalkers. Like, uh, I keep on saying, who is this movie for, right? Like, so we got a mother and son cat creature, werewolfy, catwolfy things. Were, were cats? Were cats. And they are sexually into each other it's an incestuous relationship yeah a little bit i don't know if he took his inspiration from like cat people because there's this weird thing when the that at least in the remake of cat people where they can only mate with someone of their kind and the only people of their kind was brother and sister that's right uh, I, so i don't know if it was out of necessity that they've hooked up but there are way too many scenes of this mother-son slow dancing, staring into each other's eyes and making out for me to be at all comfortable with it. And I'm just getting this, started. Cause oh, yeah. like, this this is, is a zany movie. The movie sure. is out of its fucking mind. No <laughs> like, um, and it's, it, Stephen King wrote it exclusively as a movie. This is not based on a short story or one of his novels. And I think it was just after he'd quit 
the drugs and the alcohol and like there was something going on like I, I when I reviewed it for the podcast I said like this is the thing that you write either just after you you st- stop doing drugs or right when you start doing drugs like it's insane and uh, the the character motivations seem to change randomly yeah and the the director I suspect seemed to know that the script was just too crazy. So he keeps on throwing cameos and references to other Stephen yeah, King stuff weird in here. people show up, right? Like, so, yeah, like uh, Clive Mark, Barker is in the movie um, it, it, for a minute. Uh, Mark, Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill is yeah. in the movie for a minute. Um, what's his face? Hellboy uh, <laughs> is in the movie for a minute. Uh, and, like, again, they'll, you, they'll have scenes that are sort of echoes of another Stephen King short story. But for the first third of the movie, the boy cat guy is kind of friendly and nice. But then the second part of the movie, he becomes completely one-dimensionally evil. But in the third part of the movie, where he's slowly dying, we're supposed to feel bad for him. And none of those three parts match even a little bit. Magic Emic is a very attractive actress, but she's clearly not in high school. <laughs> like, there's just no fucking way that she's in high school. <laughs> like... Um, I appreciate the amount of cat carnage in the movie. I get yeah. really sad and sickened by all the dogs that horror movies love to kill. Yeah, this is the rare horror movie which is just like, fuck you, cats. It's about cats. Time got, cats got their turn. But I also think it's a weird decision. And the who, cats' people weaknesses are other cats. Even a little scratch from a rav, an average house cat is a serious injury to them. I've always found cats kind of creepy. Like you know, they're not, <clears throat> they're not dogs. They were cats. They're not dogs. I agree. I think we're all agreed here. (laughs) Like, uh, a friend of mine said, like, I love my dog. I love my cat. And I think if I was to die, my dog would lay by my side and cry. My cat would start eating my eyeballs. That is true. Um, Cats cats are just evil. Uh, Now, who is it in the movie? Who gets killed with a corn cob? Um, I want to say it was Hellboy, Ron Perlman. (laughs) Like, that's something that happens in this movie. A dude gets stabbed stabbed with with a a corn on the cob that's things that happen. or is it no I'm trying to remember I think it was the other cop that got stabbed with the corn I think uh, Ron Perlman got his arm snapped he's got a really brutal arm break it's been a while since I've seen this one but take my word for it it's absolutely crazy and like that might be the overriding thing like more than being scary and more than being funny it's just insane but there's something about this movie (laughs) yeah I don't think it's loved but there are people that love it will will stand by and say, no, it's it's crazy. There's, I'm, it's I'm, entertaining. Like, I'm a king-size Stephen King fan. I'm, like, five books away from having all of his books okay. in hardcore. <laughs> like, I am all in with Stephen King. But I cannot defend this screenplay, <laughs> nor would I. <laughs> but here it is. It's your third favorite guilty pleasure. You're right. No, that's that's a fun movie. Jesus, will you look at this? Something's been butchered up here. Let's hope it was an animal. I never saw so much blood. Oh, we better search the place. Oh, it's Mrs. It's Mrs. Reston. I knew it. I knew something awful had happened. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Get her out of here and call the station. My little Timmy. You ready? Big man, mommy, mommy. Oh, Timmy. Where's mommy? Where's Take mommy? it easy, kid. You're safe now. Where's the father? He's away in Europe with the Air Force. But there's an aunt. She lives an hour away. 
I'll call her and take him over there. Where's Mum? Oh, this Where's is terrible. Mom? Okay, so pieces. <laughs> pieces, yes. Um, this is definitely an example of sort of the giallo. Influenced by, for sure, yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's Italian. It's got uh, bad dubbing. <laughs> it's got the bright colors. It's got 85 minutes of some of the most vicious violence and gratuitous nudity <laughs> that you'll ever sort of come across. And... I guess the impressive thing about it is how the movie absolutely makes no bones about it. Mm. I mean, after the first opening five minutes, like, <laughs> if, if in the opening five minutes, a boy is putting a puzzle and we see that the puzzle is like a centerfold, a fairly innocent, you know, nude photo of a woman, as nude photos go. And he's putting this puzzle together. His mom sees it. She loses her mind and says, he's just like his father, he's going to get rid of all that stuff and starts punishing him. And the boy disappears from the room while she's dealing with that. And he comes back and takes out mom with an axe to the face yep, several times. Actually ends up dismembering her, putting parts of her all over the house. And not just that, he chops her up with such glee. Yeah. The smile on his face is beautiful as he, as he so, does it. And like I said, this is minute five in yeah. the movie. And like, you're like, okay, like right away the movie announces itself. Okay. Sex and violence. That's all this is. That's all we got to offer. Go with it or don't. I went with it. So I had a really good time. Excellent. I can understand that a lot of people who were not maybe not used to this type of film or especially in the really easy to offend age that we find ourselves in. Pieces is just not something that <laughs> you can recommend to a lot of people and not get scorn in return. It's, it's a hard pill for a lot of people. <clears throat> it is. Uh, the title of it that I uh, looked at, it says, was night, This Night Has a Thousand Screams. Okay. Uh, but it is Pieces. It's the same yeah. movie that we're talking about. But for the records, someone might find it under that title as well. Forty years go by. We're on another university campus. Murders start happening. <clears throat> Terrible, awful, chainsaw, decapitating murders. <laughs> um, why the dude would lie dormant for 40 years, we don't know. And how awkwardly the movie keeps on trying to set up red herring characters. Yeah. Uh, it becomes kind of hilarious. My favorite being uh, Paul L. Smith, this actor. He probably looked familiar to me. He to you. He played uh, like Bluto yeah. in the Popeye, Popeye movie, and he was in that Crime Wave movie. And he's not a good actor at all, but he's just got this he's incredible physical bulky. presence. He's got this stare with the one, one squinty eye, eye. Yeah. <laughs> and there's just that guy is in the movie, and the movie's trying to make us believe he's the killer. And oh, there's he's, just no he's, fucking way. He's, he's the obviously the killer because he's a big guy and he's cleaning his chainsaw and chuckling, and he's obviously the killer, right? Like the, the all of the procedural stuff with the oh. like the, the the investigator talking to the staff at the university, his instant trust of one of the kids at the university who really by all accounts should be a suspect. Yeah. Like none of this makes sense and I love all of it. So <laughs> what's the riddle of the movie? What does pieces have that so many Giallo movies don't for me, Scott? Because uh, I did have fun with this right up to the nut squeeze of an ending. Yeah, well, this is literally one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, this this is 
it, like not just slashers. It's like one of my favorite horror movies. Movies, any movie. I just love pieces to death. Wow. And I almost feel like it's cheating putting this movie on here because I think it's a legit guilty masterpiece. But um, yes, it has flaws, many flaws. It seems like every actor in the movie was having their worst day of acting ever all at the same time. But I love each one of these flaws, and I probably love the movie even more because of them. I wonder if the movie was better written and better acted, and would I, and it made sense. It would hurt the movie. Would I like it as much? It would hurt the movie. I'm I'm laughing, I'm howling, I'm just squealing with delight with every scene. And you're right, there's uh, the character Kendall, that's the the main kid that we meet at the, the university. He's the nerdiest looking ladies man. Like he has sex with everybody yep. in the whole school. Um, it's it's weird. Uh, he gets so much action that the hot girl in the library sends him a note saying, I want to do it underwater. Meet me in the pool. Yeah. And he can afford to just crumple that up and throw it away. Whatever. Like, yeah, just another one. And you're right. The, the police, for some reason, put so much trust in this kid. And they even say, I trust this kid. I stake my life on it. And. Based on what? Yeah, it's this police logic. It's the silliest police procedural of all time. <laughs> like, absolutely silly. Um, it's a Spanish director. Uh, this is, I guess, what he assumes American policing is like. Uh, then he, they send a tennis champion to work undercover <laughs> as the tennis coach at the university. And when all else fails, the police are out of ideas. It only makes sense to deputize the kid <laughs> and figure out what the police couldn't. He keeps on finding these bodies. He's like at ground zero of all of the deaths, and like never a suspect. He's not the killer. Spoiler, but like there was no reason not to consider him a suspect, and instead he's like, like as much of an investigator as the lead detective. And for the ladies, yes, there is a lot of female nudity. But for the ladies, you even get a glimpse of little Kendall when he's done banging another <laughs> random coed. He gets out of bed in his uh, his sights on the undercover tennis coach is his next conquest. You do see, so usually full, there's no male nudity for your female full listeners. Full frontal male so nudity and uh, full frontal male nudity that you won't be threatened by. <laughs> but in this movie, I wrote down something. A list. There's so much to love. The the bloody low budget gore, the dubbing, the story logic, the the 80s gymnastic attire, the random kung fu. What <laughs> the fuck was that scene? What the fuck was that scene? You got shoddy police work, the nudity, the overacting, and the underacting, uh, and puking policemen. You yep. got puking policemen, but yeah, the, the kung fu. You want? I'm sure you wanted to talk about the. Kung I did. Scene. Well, apparently this guy was an actor who would double for Bruce Lee because Bruce Lee had died, and people still wanted to make money off of well, Bruce his, Lee. His name is Bruce Lee with one e. Yeah, right? yeah. but. Uh, for some reason, one of the producers must have known him, so they said, let's put him in the movie. Where does he fit in the movie? He doesn't. What, how does we make that scene make sense? We don't even try. <laughs> he shows up half-assed attacking this girl. She knocks him down. It looks like he's hurt. Then he just gets up, and he was like, ah, just fucking with you, and he leaves. We never saw him before. Yeah. We never see him again. Like, Yeah, Kendall comes out, and uh, he says, oh, it's my kung fu instructor. So what's going on? He goes, oh, I must have had some bad chop suey. And then he says, see you later. And Bye. it's never addressed again. We don't. We never see this character before or after. The lady was just attacked by him. She doesn't say it's. It's awesome. I think you might have touched on it though. I think it's this perfect storm because it's wall to wall flaws. It's wall to wall stupid. And there's just no way they could have done it on perfect on purpose. Yeah. 
But somehow this all came together to make just this epically entertaining movie. Part of it is the fact that it's 85 minutes. I watched a movie for a different episode of Rank and Review called Sleepless, which is very, very similar to this. Okay. It's a Dario Argento slasher movie, right down to the procedural, right down to like the female victims, but it's two hours. Oh, and it felt like I was like knee-deep in mud the whole time I was watching the movie. It just was so slow. This movie doesn't let you get bored ever. No, somebody is <laughs> like, either dead or or naked or, or being, both or having kung fu attacks. You know, something's happening every five minutes. And the procedural aspect is so terribly handled that it becomes hilarious. And the red herrings are so terribly handled that it becomes hilarious. And it's not that it, the killer was obvious. Like we knew that one of it have to be somebody in their forties who's doing this, or else the setup of the movie made no sense. But the movie does nothing. Did it anyways. <laughs> yeah. But the movie does nothing to, to tip its hand to say, yeah, this is why. They keep on like giving you really obvious suspects that clearly aren't the killer. And that's all the movie accomplishes. Whenever they focus too much attention on one character, we know to not suspect them. <laughs> like, it shouldn't work, and yet it does. It's magical. I think had I thought of this movie or had I seen it before I made my list, this probably would have made them the list. But like... Uh, you kind of reintroduced this movie to me. Absolutely. I think I did see it like when I was like way too young for it, uh-huh. and it just kind of like blurred with all the other inappropriate Tom Savini effect laden horror movies that I watched at that time. And going back at it, this is a Giallo movie that I can get behind. I can't defend it, but I can get behind it if that makes sure. sense. <laughs> I, I, yeah, and like you, I saw. It. When I was young, yeah, and then it just—I was attached to it ever since, and, and I keep seeing it. I could. This is one I can watch every week. It's just—it never gets old, and uh, you know, like the policeman, he reminds me of Frank Drebin from uh, you know Police Squad. He's <laughs> terrible. Kind of, it's, it's awesome, and it's weird because most of my notes are pointing out the flaws. Yeah, but, but as if they're not they just, flaws. They're so charming, like. The waterbed attack scene with the very rubber knife yep. that clearly bends as he back stabs the back of the of the girl's head. Um, well, you're talking about the undercover tennis pro. That scene made me laugh out loud when they were playing tennis because I'm pretty sure only one of the two <laughs> girls could actually play the game. Like that, the brunette girl uses the exact same return three times in a row. Like I honestly yeah. think it's the same footage. <laughs> like that was the time she actually made the ball go over the net. Like. And, and that actress, uh, Linda Day George, correct? I think so. Uh, she should be nominated for the Hall of Fame for the the best overacting moment in movie history. <laughs> That's that moment when they, they find the dead body in the shower, and uh, and she screams, "Bastard! Bastard! Bastard!" It's the best part of the movie as soon as that whole scene starts with the locker room and the marching band music is in I get so excited and it just and it ends it, that's the climax of the movie for me it's just there's if you have the DVD there's an option where you can watch it with a a, a theater audience oh, really? audio version and it is it's it's so much fun because you hear you know people are laughing they're applauding they're yelling stuff at the screen with every line of dialogue it's actually it's kind of fun um, if you get a chance to do it it's it's a good time I bet you can guess another movie that crossed my mind watching this. Uh, no. Nightmare City. Oh, yes. You and I reviewed Nightmare City uh, for a zombie <laughs> podcast, Once Upon a Time, and that shares with this, I think, 
I prefer this one, if I'm honest, to Nightmare City, but the like that scene with all the girls doing the workout exercises, yeah, there's yeah. something about the clothes that the girls wear that they feel naked even when they're not naked sometimes. Like The aesthetic of this movie is just so wonderful and so specific to its time. Like This movie could not exist before or after 1982, it really feels like. It's a perfect storm of craziness. Okay, can I share a few lines of dialogue from Please. this film that are just so beautifully written? Mm-hmm. Now, these are direct quotes from the movie. I didn't write them. I'm just repeating them. The woman says, the most beautiful thing in the world is smoking pot and fucking on a waterbed. Mm-hmm. Beautiful lines. <laughs> the police. She's not wrong. <laughs> the police officer, when they're looking for clues, they're like, we're just out buying clothes without labels and trying them on for size. <laughs> That's that how police mean? talk. Police referring to a dead body chopped cleanly into many pieces, saying, I don't want to wait for the coroner's opinion, so could you give me yours? Could this have been done with a chainsaw, like that one over there? Oh, please don't touch Pointing at the obvious murder weapon, the professor goes to inspect the weapon. Don't touch a professor. You may have just destroyed evidence. Oh, I am terribly sorry. Well, I'm not a pathologist, but even a layman could see it was done with this. Police says, okay, thanks. (laughs) It's just... It's awesome. It's like it's not even trying to be credible somehow. <laughs> it's yeah, I mean, there's more, but I mean, it just goes on. It's just it's great. Um, yeah, two quick things that I want to just for the Giallo set. Um, one of the things about the Giallo killer is that we never see their face until the third act, and yeah. they always wear gloves. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really weird because the pieces is a metaphor, not just for him cutting girls into pieces, but he dug out the old puzzle from when he was a kid and he's slowly filling Filling the pieces of the puzzle together. And he's always got the gloves on while he's doing the puzzle. And I'm like, who is that for? Like, I get you're wearing the gloves when you do your kills because, you know, evidence, fingerprints or whatever. But right now you're in your lair and you're doing your puzzle (laughs) in your shadow costume with the gloves. It's just so absurd. I love it. We didn't even uh, discuss sneaking into the elevator, hiding a chainsaw behind his back. I mean, that, that happened. That's a thing that happened. You happens. could just like, oh, excuse me, put the chainsaw <laughs> behind your back. She won't see this, and she doesn't. Um, what do you think about the ending? The very end, I mean, so he's, he's collecting these pieces of women, and he's sewing them together, we find, to make, recreate his mother, I'm guessing. He's got her dressed in uh, his mother's old dress. But, uh, and then at the end, the corpse, grabs of course, comes balls. to life and, and grabs his, his nuts and squeezes and... Yeah, and honestly, like that's a completely ridiculous <laughs> non sequitur of an ending, but it saves the movie in a way <laughs> because the actual resolution of the serial killer is so abrupt and anticlimactic that you're kind of like, really? Which was exactly the same experience I had with the Sleepless, the other Jalen okay. movie I was talking about. They have all this build up to the end, and then bang, it's over so quickly you don't even really get to enjoy it. But then they hit it's- you with this corpse comes alive and squeezes his nuts into jelly and slam into credits and you just don't what did I watch? <laughs> it's absurd but what I think it I, I think it elicits applause too when yeah. that happens you just of course that's what's going to happen now yeah now there's a theory out there that it all makes sense because Kendall goes through the whole movie using women mm-hmm. you know and uh, finally this woman at the end grabs him by by his nuts which uh Maybe makes sense. I don't know. I don't think they thought that clearly about it. I, just... I think that implies a depth that this movie simply does not have. No. <laughs> but uh, it sure is entertaining. 
Number two, we've discussed this one before. The second time this director showed up in my top ten, and this is Pieces. Nice. This DVD at the cover, it says, you don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre. I prefer the other tagline where it just says, I have a poster of this in my basement, actually, and it says, Pieces. It's exactly what you think it is. Yep. And, and it what, is. Else, what else needs to be said? That's it. Yep. Like, the deepest part of the movie is, like, when I was like, oh, it's not just the body part pieces, it's the puzzle pieces. Oh, it's exactly Genius. what you think it is. <laughs> Genius. Genius. Uh, we're going to spend some time on pieces. So uh, I don't uh, think it's possible to possibly spend enough time on pieces, though. <laughs> like, I... I there, I just wanted to add one thing. There is a special feature on here. It's an Easter egg that if you look hard enough, you can find it. It's Eli Roth introducing this film at like a theatrical screening. Um, and it's funny because he's... Uh, it's funny because we've talked with Eli Roth about like six times. He's come up. Um, he seems to be kind of... Some people hate him and some people are okay with him. I'm, I'm a fan. I think he's a, he's a clear fan of horror and I think I could hang out with the guy. We clearly mm -hmm. like a lot of the same shit. But... Uh, it's funny, he summed up this movie perfectly in his introduction. He said, if there was a pure sugar junk food equivalent to horror movies, it would be pieces. It's so brilliantly incomprehensible in terms of logic, in terms of plot, it's pure enjoyment. So, Mr. Roth, I would love to hang out and, and watch pieces with you and just yeah. have a beer. I, I like Eli Roth. I still think he hasn't made his masterpiece, though. I think that, that like... <laughs> I've, I've liked a lot of his movies, but I, I still think there's that one that's going to really get him the seat that he's been wanting and vying for all this time. I kind of almost considered Cabin Fever for, for the list. Um, right. But, uh, because I feel like it's one I, I like maybe more than I should, but yeah. but uh, anyways. Pieces at number two. Love Pieces. It's funny that you picked one of our reviews for your number two because I picked one of the reviews for, for mine. It's uh, Piranha 3D is my number two guilty pleasure movie. Alexander Aja is, speaking of great genre presences, love the dude. And speaking of Eli Roth, Eli Roth gets his head popped yeah. in this movie. <laughs> um, like, this is the is what it is movie. What is it? It's tits and blood. <laughs> like, I honestly yeah. don't know what else to tell you. Yeah, well, it, there, it, there's a penis too. There's so. a penis in there as <laughs> but well. But mostly tits and blood, yeah. But with that very <laughs> admittedly narrow purview, it's about as good as it could be. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's entertaining. It's, like, uh, it's it's in it's in capable hands too, and that's maybe the difference. Yeah, because again, Piranha Three Double D, I'm not a fan of. It's weird how sometimes the movies that are so similar, I can react differently to. Truth be told, this is a bit of an aside. I have that feeling about Hatchet. I love Hatchet. I'm kind of only lukewarm on Hatchet too. Oh, okay. Uh, Hatchet 3, I think, brings it back up another level for me. But it's like, I'm not sure what it is that Hatchet 2 is doing that Hatchet 1 wasn't. Yeah, but it's kind of the same way. 1 yeah. absolutely works for me, and 2 I find problematic. And I, I would like to know what the problem is. Maybe it's me. <laughs> I think if you're looking for problems in a Hatchet movie, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe the, the problem. problem is me. <laughs> um, yeah, I love the Hatchet movies, but I'm not guilty about them. That's why they're not no. appearing on this list. What was your number one? Most guilty pleasure horror movie, brother. Well, I don't think this is going to be a surprise for you. If you know me at all, you probably could see this one coming. I've already raved about this movie with you on your podcast and ranked it ahead of better movies. Um, Umberto Lenzi makes his second appearance 
with Nightmare City. Oh, there it is. I was it, wondering if that was going to make it. When's Nightmare City going to come up? But, <laughs> dude, this this movie, and more proof that I should hang out with Eli Roth. Pieces <laughs> in Nightmare City are two of his favorite films from what I hear. But I, I agree. I can, even though it has no ending. Man, imagine how great this film would be if it had an ending. I love it this much. And it really yes, is a terrible ending. Yes, it's, it's a guilty pleasure. These these zombies have oatmeal on their face instead of makeup, it looks like. Um but it's it's kind of just amazing. And we've, if there's an episode of Rank and Review where we talk about this for like 20 minutes, you can check that one out if you want. Yeah. But uh, we can talk about it for another 20 minutes if you want. But. Well, again, I, I think I, I made a point, like I passed it. I was looking at all my movies and I thought, Scott's got me covered on Nightmare <laughs> City. I didn't include it, but it totally belongs on the list, if not on the top, at least in there. Yeah. Um, and for all the reasons you say, like, it doesn't make sense. There is no logic to it. The ending is terrible. Some of the acting is strange. There are scenes that seem completely random. Oh, and sure. yet, somehow, <laughs> somehow, it all works beautifully. <laughs> like, Yeah, it's... As a zombie film, as a and again here we are with the, with the Italian stuff. I, I just I, I got a spot for it. Well, shit. Um, <laughs> you said like, of course I was gonna pick this. It's me, and I feel like I could say the exact same thing about my number one. You already mentioned it, and my heart fell to my floor when you did. No way. What? But uh, I was thinking about it, and thinking about it. What's number one? What am I gonna do? It fucking has to be Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> it has to be Deep Blue Sea. I had sea. a feeling you had it. I was like, where's Deep Blue Sea? <laughs> um, I have all three of them. I haven't made the, the cases. There's three Deep Blue Seas now. Um, and they're all terrible. But only the first one is amazingly terrible. Yeah, it's... <laughs> like, I, I love shark movies. And I get, like, Rennie Harlan's a legit director. And that technically, the movie's not, like, incompetent. The special right. effects haven't aged particularly well, and the script is like <laughs> insane. Like, doesn't make any sense. We're gonna make super intelligent, smart sharks in order to cure Alzheimer's, <laughs> and, and like, and the sharks are gonna be as big as they need to be, yeah, depending on the room that they're in. And of course, the infamous Samuel L. Jackson death, and oh. like all of the the only thing that gave me pause about the Blue Sea is like it's almost quote too good a movie. But the thing is, is that it's not a good movie. <laughs> it's really not a good movie. It's not even a consistent movie. There's a, the first time we see the sharks, we just see it barely under the water. And it is fucking huge. It's a yep. whale. A few scenes later, it's in an elevator shaft. <laughs> okay? Like, and then it's hiding in a kitchen with LL Cool J. Yeah. Uh, and oh my god, LL Cool J. <laughs> LL Cool J is so awful in this movie. And like... His whole sub-adventure is like the B-plot of the movie. And whenever they cut to him, I want to die. But I can't look away. I can't look away from the movie. Fun fact, uh, when this movie was originally test-screened, the female lead of the movie had survived. But okay. the people in the test screening hated her so much that they said they had to kill her. And blood. they went back and they reshot the ending. <laughs> so nice. she died. <laughs> I'm always down for more people. Um, the one that I always comp compare this with, and again, if I did ties, maybe I'd do it, but again, it might be a little bit too good, is Anaconda. Yeah. It came out similar time frame, I think, maybe a little bit earlier, but like 
It's Computer Snake. Yeah, I it's thought about that. It stars a bunch of, like, musicians. Jennifer Lopez and Ice Cube just <laughs> fucking <laughs> snarling his way through the movie. But there's something John, about John Deep Blue Sea so and John Boyd committing to a part like I have never <laughs> seen him. Uh, I love Anaconda. So settle down. This part does not deserve this <laughs> That's much right. And I think he might have been the reason it didn't make the list. But, like, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've seen Deep Blue Sea. And I know it's bad. Like, I know it's bad while I'm watching yeah. it. But I fucking just, I just can't step away from it. I'm just like... I'm sorry for this being my favorite. It's, like, it's wall-to-wall entertaining. I love this scene that Michael Rappaport has this big one-on-one with LL Cool J. And then he volunteers to help our main character run an errand. And I just started laughing. Like, it's just like, <laughs> why don't you just put a gun in your mouth? You just made us like you, and then you volunteered to take a risk. And this is the type of movie it is. And Rennie Harlan was really earnest about wanting to make the most intense and scary shark movie since Jaws. He wasn't going to say it was going to be better than Jaws, but he really wanted to give the people a ride. And I think he did give us a ride. It just wasn't the ride that he he set out to create. But I unabashedly love this movie. Like, I hate it, but I like like, (laughs) Deep Blue Sea. It's funny because when I put bait out, you were like, oh, I thought it was going to be Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> so, no, and I was I'm like, sorry, hold on, we're saving that <laughs> Well, just wait. I mean, he's not going to do two shark movies, is he? I am going to do two shark movies. I just put bait in there to throw you off the scent. Ah, just spoil the ending. It's funny, I watched Deep Blue Sea with my daughter one night, and she was totally into it. And Brooke was like, that was a really good movie, Dad. It was like, yeah, it's, it's fun, right? It was a good movie. Because she was getting into shark movies at the time. Yeah. I'm not sure whether she saw Jaws and, and that. And she started watching, like, the um, 48 Feet Below or whatever. 47 Meters yeah. Down. Yeah, 47 Meters. That's it. Uh, and there was a few others she had watched. And uh, so she really liked Deep Blue Sea. And uh, and she said, yeah, is it, it's pretty good. And she goes, yeah, I think it's better than Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, "Well, let's just slow down. Let's, let's just bit. relax it's a, a little." It's a fun movie, but, uh, but I did use the L word. I, I, and I do think it's appropriate. I think I do love Deep Blue Sea, but I'm not going to tell anyone that it's an amazing movie. This is why it's a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, there's no logic to the movie. The characters are paper thin. Like, there's, there's, it's got some badass shark moments and some, it, it does. both good and bad special effects. Like that, that famous uh, Sam Jackson death. It's terrible. Yeah. From a special effects standpoint, not convincing at all. It's, it's From a plot like, point standpoint, it's amazing. <laughs> you're, you're like, and it seems the more you see it, the worse the effect gets. Yeah. The first times that whoa, we're just talking. These are. Like, yeah. Okay. Right. There it is. Good call. So we exhaustively ranked our 30 guilty pleasure horror movies, but we also have reviewed six movies just for the, I'll just go through them really quickly. Uh, We had Baby Blood, House of the Dead 2, Cheerleader Camp, Mosquito, Pieces, and Piranha 3D. Those were the movies that got full-length reviews this episode. So I thought we could start by just ranking those. What was your least favorite of the films we reviewed and why? Okay, well, I, I, I mean, okay. 
Uh, if we're doing this, House of the Dead 2 will be at the bottom. Right. Uh, because it's House of the Dead 2. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that. Well, I think we, I said to you before, it wasn't great enough to be excellent, and it wasn't bad enough to be excellent. Right. It was just kind of middle of the road. But uh, yeah, it's, it's fine. Uh, we'll go Baby Blood at 5 uh, because, you know. Of what it is. It has, uh, baby, actually, they were all fine. Um, <laughs> it should be higher than Cheerleader Camp, but I'm going <laughs> to put Cheerleader Camp at 4 because it's just personal. Right. Uh, I'll put Piranha 3D at 3 because it's actually better than Cheerleader Camp and, uh, you know, it's got some special assets to it. Uh, Mosquito. I adore Mosquito. So it's going 2 and Pieces. Number 1. Pieces is the reason I'm here. I had the, the toughest time with number 1 and 2, but unfortunately I made the wrong call for me, but the right call for you because we just went <laughs> 0 for 6. Oh, You're a 0 for 6 rank and review champion, motherfucker. <laughs> Language. Uh, uh, full disclosure, it was the first time I ever watched Cheerleader Camp, and it was kind of a blurry YouTube version. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't the most pristine cut. And, you know, that fucking rap song was a slap what? in the face. You, you got to hear, hear that rap song in, if, in if, HD. It's yeah. way better. Well, hopefully people will be hearing it <laughs> during this podcast, the lucky bastards. Um like, that's impressive because I thought Default House of the Dead 2 would just clearly be the bottom. It's weird in that that was the one that I was the most ashamed of to put on my list. because yeah. like, And it's just, meh, whatever. But like I said, I'm a hoe for zombie movies. <laughs> uh, this is another zombie movie. That's really all you yeah. can say about it. It mostly just has a stink on it because of the film that preceded it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, in fourth position, Baby Blood. With she of the ginormous breasts and the very British teeth. Does she have ginormous breasts? You hadn't mentioned that yet. No, did I not? Did Just I miss... like the guy in House of the Dead 2, he hadn't mentioned about his dead brother. No? Did it? No, I, I think other than nine times. He did have a dead brother, though. That was yeah, good. Make sure they so hit that plot point, because the people need to know. I really wanted to mention that in the review. But, uh, <laughs> we I got it. someone, too. Yes, I know your brother. You said this. Mosquito would be higher than third place, but the acting, dude, the <laughs> acting in that movie is fucking brutal. It's <laughs> like, hmm. it's like they're not even trying. Yeah, uh, two and three were tough for me. I ended up putting pieces in second place, almost arbitrarily, but like, there's just parts of that movie that don't make sense. <laughs> they, they just don't make sense. Just, I mean, it's parts of it. <laughs> it's charming in a weird way that it doesn't make sense, but. Piranha 3D, for all its exploitation over the topness, I mean, has an A, B, and C that is followable. Yeah. And uh, it, it's crazy fun, but it knows what it is. So that's my list. We went 0 for 6. I also have uh, a few things that I wanted to mention that uh, didn't quite make the list because they were, quote, not guilty enough. Okay. Um, Anaconda being the big one. Yeah. I don't know why I had to like do one or the other, but it seemed like I couldn't have Anaconda and Deep Blue Sea on the list. Yeah, I, I thought about Anaconda too. Um, there is a movie from the 80s called Night of the Demons. That's the one that had Linnea Quigley, and that yeah. came very close to being on the list. That's, that's an excellent movie. No, that, that, that's just a good movie, I think. There's bad acting in it, but there's great effects in it. It's so deliciously 80s, and it's got a big dance number in it. There's like, It's very of its time, but it didn't quite make the list. The lipstick scene, eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Linnea Quigley <laughs> sticks a lipstick thing into her nipple. It's really weird. <laughs> Um, I didn't include it because I guess it's a comedy, but Freaked, 
with Alex Winter oh. uh, and uh, Randy Quaid. Yeah. <laughs> he gets turned into this ridiculous creature yeah. and like there's this it's yeah, very it's, early nineties affected humor and it's aged strangely, but there's just something about it. <laughs> if we're doing just straight guilty pleasure movies, that's on there. Yeah. That's I, I It just that wasn't movie. quite horror enough for no. this list. So it was just And also if someone out there has a copy of Freaked for less than, you know, Asking price. It's out of print now. You can't find oh, it. Oh, tough. Um, okay, here's a here's a weird one because it's a prestige picture. Uh, the Ghost in the Darkness. Okay. Um, again, I just decided it wasn't a horror movie, but it's a, based on true events. Val Kilmer and uh, Michael Douglas have to kill these lions that have literally killed a, um, over a hundred people working on this railway bridge. But the movie is handed, handled so poorly, like so ham-fistedly, especially the usually rock-solid, dependable Michael Douglas <laughs> way overplays it in this movie. But it does kind of cross that line for me where it yeah. like mishandles everything so completely that it becomes fun <laughs> like, okay. and amusing, but it didn't quite make the list. Another one that I love, but I think I love too much to call it guilty, Ravenous. Okay, yeah, I know you you mentioned that one in before. This cannibal sort of period piece, a crazy cast, a crazy plot, a crazy movie, crazy score. There's nothing about it that's not crazy, and yet I legitimately like it. Yeah, no, it's just a good movie. I just legitimately like it, and that's other people would say that's a guilty pleasure. And the last one, and this is tough for me because I love the movie, but I understand its flaws. But I think it's just too good to call guilty. Dagon. From okay. Stuart Gordon. Yeah. I really like the H.P. Lovecraft story. I really love some of the performances in it, but some of the performances that are awful. There's amazing special effects in it, but there's also terrible special effects in it. So it doesn't come together completely as a complete package. But in spite of that, it's one of the best H.P. Lovecraft it's adaptations good. out there. And that's when you, you got me into that one. Yeah. You got me a copy. So, uh, so I've always had the soft spot for Dagon, but it... Guilty. I just, I got hung up on guilty. Yeah. yeah. I just love Dagon. <laughs> so so yeah, those I, are my honorable mentions. Do you have any? Uh, like, well, this? I didn't make a list of them. I, I think I kind of went as we went along. Right. The ones that I thought of or, or similar ones. Uh, one that got dropped, a late cut, was 2001 Maniacs. The original? Yeah. Not the original. That's the 2000 Maniacs. Oh, okay. 2001 with uh, Robert Englund. And okay, Richard. that's the only one I've seen. Okay. I haven't actually seen the original. <laughs> yeah, this it's uh, it takes it to ten, and uh, just Robert Englund and Lynch just chewing the hell out of the scenery, almost chewing it so hard that it's turning it into bubble gum. That was it's, the it's weird occasion of a movie where I wasn't liking it at all for the first half, but it won me back. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of uh, you know women parts, and there's a lot of. Uh, Violence. Pretty good violence. And guess who shows up in a cameo? Eli Roth, again, in the beginning. But uh, We'd like to dedicate this episode to Eli Roth, our new boy. It's funny because I think he shows up as the same character as Cabin Fever. And, <laughs> and I mentioned Cabin Fever is one I considered as well. Uh, another one was uh, an early, I think it's 1980s slasher parody, Student Bodies. Uh, I gave a lot of consideration to that one because it's kind of the first slasher, horror comedy, horror comedy parody, spoof thing. Um, and it's it's... It's funny. It's it's pretty lowbrow. Uh, there's a lot of very lowbrow humor, but uh, it, it works for me. When we were kids, we used to watch this movie, and again, I, I, I watched about 20 minutes of it, and it's aged terribly, but I remember thinking it was amazing. 
the National Lampoon's reunion. Class reunion. Class reunion. I remember (laughs) thinking, like, should I track that down? Is that movie awesome? It's not. It's not. It's not, not, apparently. But uh, um, I just wanted to know that you still remembered that. Oh, yeah. A lot of these movies... I was either introduced to, or I probably wouldn't have watched if not for you and Karen. You're welcome. <laughs> and I, <laughs> or else absolutely, I'm sorry. <laughs> I absolutely thank you for all of that. Um, <laughs> that's right. We were not well supervised as children, and that's why we are the men we are. Today. That's right. <laughs> Save money on babysitters just by Super Channel. Uh, you don't need to prescribe medication. Prescribe movies. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Rankin reviewers, we covered a lot in the last two episodes. What I'd like to do right now, really quickly, is do a quick recap of uh, Scott Lehman and Larry Parsons' Top 30 Horror Guilty Pleasures. I'm going to start with my list, and then I'm going to read you Scott's. This is my, your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons' Top 30. Number 30, Teeth from 2007. Number 29, House of the Dead 2 from 2005. Number 28, Leprechaun 4 in Space from 96. Number 27, Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, 2013. Number 26, The End of the Line from 2007. Number 25, Vampire's Kiss from 1988. Number 24, Chopping Mall from 1986. Number 23, 100 Tears from 2007. Number 22, Bats from 1999. Number 21, Galaxy of Terror from 1981. Number 20, Kingdom of the Spiders from 1977. 19, Black Sheep from 2006. 18, Bordello of Blood from 1996. 17, Baby Blood from 1990. 16, Humanoids from the Deep, 1980. 15, Full Eclipse, 1993. 14, The Fly 2, 1989. 13, The Devil's Rock, 2011. 12, Santa's Sleigh, 2005. 11, Cue the Winged Serpent from 1982. 10, Bait from 2012. 9, Night of the Demon from 1983. 8, Reign of Fire from 2002. 7, Slugs from 1988. 6, Deep Star 6 from 1989. 5, Hideous from uh, 1997. 4, Hello Mary Lou Prom Night 2. Um, from somewhere in the 80s, I apologize. <laughs> Number three is Sleepwalkers from 1992. Number two, Piranha 3D, I want to say 2010-ish for that one. And number one, Deep Blue Sea, I believe that was also from 1999. That was my list. Now my co-host and one of my best friends in the world, Scott Lehman's probably superior list. <laughs> in 30th position, we have Creepazoids from 1987. 29, Microwave Massacre from 1979. 28, Food of the Gods from 76. 27, Leprechaun from 1993. 26, Evils of the Night, 1985. 25, Splatter University from 1984. 24, Zombie 3 from 1988. 23, Human Centipede from 2009. 22, Cheerleader Camp from 1988. 21, Cannibal Ferox from 1981. 20, Sorority Row, 2009. 
19, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 from 1987. 18, Maximum Overdrive from 1986. 17, The Rage from 2007. 16, Zombievers 2014. 15, I Drink Your Blood from 1970. 14, Poultry Geist from 2006. 13, Jason X, Jason in Space from 2001. 12, Machine Girl from 2008. 11, Video Dead from 1987. 10, Spookies 1986. 9, Mosquito 1994. 8, Slugs from 1988. 7, Humanoids from the Deep. 6, Basket Case from 1982. 5, Slumber Party Massacre from 1982. 4, Blood Rage from 1987. 3, Without Warning from 1980. 2, Pieces from 1982. And number 1, Nightmare City from 1980. That's a lot of cheesy recommendations for you guys. Now get to work. done we got all the way through that amazing epic rank of films and uh i hope you guys enjoyed it and i hope that you have some feedback for scott and myself if you send that feedback to rank and review at gmail.com that's r-a-n-k-n-r-e-v-i-e-w at gmail.com i would love to hear your thoughts some more guilty recommendations what did we get right what did we get wrong all of that fun stuff Check out the website at rankandreview.ca. There are lots of great, friendly podcasts to rank and review. I would encourage you to check out Cobwebs, a gothic horror podcast, the Shelf Shedding Movie Show, the Terror Table podcast, and a lifetime of Hallmark. Big love to all of my listeners from your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. And we'll see you every other Wednesday. Without guilt. <laughs>